I used to say I lived my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. No matter where you are, whether it's a quarter mile away or halfway across the world, you'll always be with me. If Tencent offers us money and you don't take it, I will fly to Arkansas and beat the shit out of you. I'll take the money and then immediately <laughs> quit the show. That's fine. As long as I get paid, I'll keep it going. Konnichiwa, use- bonjourno. I don't give a shit. Like, let's go. <laughs> I'll use a portion of the money to run ads that are against the Chinese government's overreach. That's fine. And if you die, Brett, I will continue in your legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, if I die because of it, I'll just make sure that you're in my will to get some of that money. Um, Do you think that the Chinese government would like to buy Midweek Matinee? Chinese government, if you're interested at all in Midweek Matinee, our price is $50,000 firm, so we can split it right now. So, Brett, why don't you do me a favor for our listeners in Beijing? What is Midweek Matinee? Midweek Matinee is a weekly movie podcast where we get together, Chris and mm-hmm. I. Uh, Blake used to, but then he turned into a ghost. Yeah. Uh, and we watch a movie. Right now uh-huh. we're doing the Fast 9 series. So yes. uh, our yep. road to Fast 9 is happening where we're watching a little bit of everything yeah. that has to do with Fast and Furious, except for the one time that they made that movie about Hobbs mm-hmm. and Shaw. Pretty sure we decided against that one. Who knows? We might end up turning around. But that's midweek matinee. So if you're interested, Beijing Mm -hmm. listeners, and you're out there, and Chinese government, if they're listening, you're clearly listening too because that's exactly what you do. Uh, Then, yeah, the offer's on the table. $50,000 for it. $50,000? $50,000, absolutely. All right. That seems a little low for... No, dude. $50,000. As this week's host, Chris Figueroa, I would like to say Back up. $50,000 Don't be trying to come at me with your... Chinese money, that currency, $50,000. I don't want that. I want 50000 in my local currency. Again, as host of this week's episode of Midweek Matinee, Christopher Figueroa, $50,000 is a little too light for my piece of ass. You can, how, Brett, how Brett about $100,000 each, so we each get $50,000. I need, so here's my thing. I need to be able to put $240,000 into my uh, investment portfolio that is a thousand dollars in dividends. If you want to buy my loyalty, Winnie the Pooh, that is I how much you, you that just fucked to show up getting bought. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were listening and they were like, ah, I kind of like these guys yes. this is making a lot of sense. And they were like, Winnie the Pooh, listen, Winnie the, that you just fucked it all up. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, well, bother. I don't have any honey for you this week, but what I do have for you this week is another episode of Midweek Matinee. <laughs> we are recording our episode, as Brett so wonderfully laid out for us, of Fa- Furious 7. I keep calling it Fast 7. This is Furious 7. It should have on- been called Fast 7, if nothing else. Why yes. would you skip the first word? It doesn't I'm, make I'm, sense. I'm done. We, we've done this. We can't do it. I hate it. The names don't do make it every sense. week. We can't it. do it every week. I was just, I, you know what? I was thinking maybe we should save the time. But if you want to rant about the names, I'm fine with it. 
No, it's fine. If you want cool. to hear about us ranting about the names, we did it last week, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Fast no well, two weeks ago, if you listen Fast to this five, episode. It was. It was. All right, guys. Well, since uh, Chris is hosting this episode, I'll get the uh the homework as they say out of the way. <laughs> uh if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. Get you early access and some other cool things as well as your name read off at the end of the episode. Ooh. Uh you can Ooh. find us on Twitter at matinee underscore midweek so you can yell at us about our hot takes or you can agree with us or just any of the things in between. You can hit up the Discord so you can be part of our discussions from the user side. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast service if you're on one of those. Leave us a review. Helps people know whether or not the show is worth their time. And if you want to find me every week alongside occasionally Chris, but more often than not, nobody <coughs> saw, you can listen to me talk about gaming's, uh, gaming every Monday. Typically, this week is the one time that did not happen on Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. But Chris, I'm going to lob it back over to you so we can get this thing going. Yes, I've now caught the proverbial microphone, and we are going to talk about if I liked the movie. That was weird. I don't like that. Um, Brett, I liked Fast and 7. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was awkward. But yeah, I, I, I really liked Fast 7. I don't, I don't want to spoil things later in the episode, but I really like this movie. <laughs> it has some of my favorite scenes in the whole series. We'll definitely get to it, uh, mm-hmm. but I think I know the scene that you've been kind of hinting at. I'm not going to confirm or deny, but I need I'm to not know gonna what say, you think. I, I'm not going to say it right now. I'll say it when we get there. You don't think so? You don't think it'll be a nice little Easter egg for the viewers to be like, oh, Brett was right. I wonder you know if 15 well, minutes ago, Brett was correct. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll, plant, I'll plant my seed. Yes. And we'll Earth. see if it grows, okay? Yeah. I'm pretty sure the airplane drop with all the cars is your favorite scene. That's but, a good guess. Brett, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, tomorrow's my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Just a little bit, so I'm going to have a good time. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Don't have to be at work. Don't have to oh. be, uh, you know, tied <clears throat> to the old ball and paycheck, as they say. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in a good spot. Watched uh, Furious 7. I'm... I probably will refer to it as Fast 7 the rest of this episode. Yeah, I definitely honest. will too. <laughs> but yeah, um, interesting. Uh, you know, watch, watch the movie, had a good time. Still did not watch the extended version because I, I did. And I don't think, I don't know what would possibly be different because I saw it in theaters. <laughs> so I was, I watched it and I was like, this is what I saw in the movie theater. So I don't think this is different. Um, did you like Fast 7? It was better than Fast Furious 7. seven. God damn it. <laughs> Dude, fast Evan. I'm yeah. making the, we're, we're making the call right now. It will henceforth be referred to as fast seven for the purposes of this episode. <laughs> Thanks. Save my ass. <laughs> but yes, uh, I liked it more than six. I thought it did a much better job though. I'm starting to believe that part of what makes these movies lose their edge a little bit is the runtime. I think six. Now, of course, five, six and seven are all very close in that like kind of two hour and 20 minute thing. But I think six could have benefited from probably being a good 20 minutes shorter. Yeah. And I'm thinking that even though I enjoyed this movie way more, Mm -hmm. I still think that there's an argument that this movie, the theatrical cut, which you did not watch, could have been been under two hours and probably would have felt better, a little tighter. I want to disagree with you, but here's why I can't. And this is maybe going to make me look bad, but I had to work today. And I was cutting chicken tenders and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get a head start. So I put fast seven on my phone 
and I'm watching it as I'm cutting chicken tenders and weighing them out. I'm not, I'm, I'm paying attention. I know what happened in the beginning of the fucking movie, but I'm watching this and then I come home and I finish it and I had about 90 minutes. So I never felt overwhelmed by the runtime. Sure. So I, I wouldn't say I felt overwhelmed. I just think that the overwhelmed might you're... be a wrong word, but it never like affected me because I basically watched 30 minutes of just the intro. So then the 90 minutes that I watched on my TV when I got home was all the action. It was like, oh, I got through the intros like, hey, all the Avengers are here. And then it was like, oh, they're <laughs> fighting Thanos now. <laughs> so I just want you to, to know. Yeah. Uh, I was just typing something in in relation to Fast 7, as I'm calling it. Yes. And uh, I did the old fat finger and typed in Fat 7. <laughs> and I What's think up, there, is, there is a great parody to be made here. Okay. Yes. Is it Joe Biden calling seven reporters fat? <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to know, Brett, because we've had this running kind of thing with our road to Fast 9. There's been a bunch of yield signs, let's say, from four through eight. And you kind of had a concern when we, before we started doing the fast saga that kind of four through eight, I guess, or really where the rock came in was where Fast and the Furious changed for you. And I want to know, do you still feel that way after this movie? So just for a little clarification for listeners, you're not very far off, but Four was this thing where it didn't feel super off for the series, but it felt like a weird return to characters that didn't get didn't pay off right. And I still feel that way. Um, and that turned me off of five when there was that long gap between them. And then five also introduced the rock. I just felt like I felt like how underwhelming four was. I yeah. thought they were just trying to lob for whatever they could get. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely wrong in that, as I mentioned, the Fast Five episode. I yeah. really love Fast Five. Uh, of this type of fast movie, Five is the best one so far from four onward, okay. in my opinion, still. But um, you do still hold the opinion that they're different. They're segmented off. One through I, three I, and four I, through nine, basically. I definitely feel that way, though. I think this movie does a lot to try and pull us back into the one through three era. And I think it does a fairly good job, but it's still, as I've been saying, as we keep watching this movie, these, the series, right. Is that they're going to continuously have to raise the stakes and push things to a point where it starts to get a little ridiculous. And I think that's the main thing is I think one and one in Tokyo drift specifically feel grounded. And then two and four through oh, two and five through eight feel a little a little less grounded four feels mostly grounded but it's just so brooding and slow and boring and underwhelming that four you can sucks. watch it and That's you're like the oh there we are it. but yeah four i'd, I'd argue <laughs> the same thing yeah four is the only one that i'm just like I watched it back when it originally came out and rewatching it. I almost didn't remember anything. Yeah. And that's amazing. I, I genuinely don't understand how people will say Tokyo drift is the worst and four exists. Yes. Like even if it was, I don't like Tokyo drift, but four is worse. So they're your bottom two. Fine. I'll accept that even though you're incredibly wrong, (laughs) but I don't get how four isn't below three. Four isn't even a fun movie to watch. So three at least is. Yeah. Anyway, um, I guess my the only point I have on that is I've kind of maintained that I thought it could go that way, but I didn't necessarily agree. And watching these movies, I, I don't think I think these movies are shockingly consistent. Like there's a there's a they escalate 
like if you watched one and then you watched seven, you'd be like, what what the fuck is going on? I, I'm glad you said that because that was exactly without you even now that that crossed my mind while watching the movie yeah. to that exact degree of I don't think that anybody could watch one and then watch this movie. Yeah, exactly. And feel like they're connected at all. No. And I still think that that's really probably the bigger crux of my argument. Um See, because that, I, w- I will say, like I said, originally, too, I said it a couple episodes back, I feel like two shares a lot of the DNA that James Wan ended up taking forward mm-hmm. with f- more five and onwards than anything. Uh, yeah. it, four feels <clears throat> like I can un- I can see the connection between James Wan's Tokyo Drift and then him trying to go back to these older characters. I think that it's just you had to stumble into that to a degree because they pivoted off of wanting Fast and Furious to be like a mini saga of stories that are loosely connected through people who all share connections with other people. Uh, and then that didn't work out. So I feel like one and three have this more serious underbelly. Two has kind of got this larger than life thing, but not to the degree that you have to keep doing as you make these movies have more and more weight to the ramifications of what's going on. Cause you have to, like, like we mentioned, when people are doing crazy things from movie to movie to movie, to move the needle for them, it has to be something just so crazy. You know, it's got to be, yeah. oh, someone's going to, someone's coming back to kill us because of something we've done. So now this is a fight yeah. for our lives. I, I don't know. I, I guess know. to me, because we've been watching them in a row and I, I just feel like this is very natural escalation for the, the characters we see. That, I, so, I get like if I said here watch fa- the Fast and the Furious and then we're gonna watch Fast Nine now, you'd be like, what the actual fuck is going on? This doesn't yeah. make any sense. But when you watch one, two, four, five, six, seven, you know these th- the characters and their motivations, it all makes sense. And I think it's interesting because they almost it's almost I don't think it was purposeful, but there's almost a subtle like acknowledgement of that where ramsey says to brian they where ramsey does that whole like i can read people i'm super deep and smart thing that mm-hmm. every smart person does in the movie she says <laughs> like you're an ex you're a cop you have the skills like you there's a reason you did what you did on that that train it's because you've been trained and i think the series in a really crazy way does an incredible job of making that not seem like a leap no, I, th- I agree there. And I actually agree with you in the sense of the characters and their motivations actually do have a fairly strong through line throughout all of them. Right. I, I think, think what <clears throat> makes it a lot harder, and that's I guess that's where we differ on these two things, I agree with you that for the most part, the characters are consistent. I think where I back up is because of the escalation, not on the character's side, more so than the actions happening around the characters, gets to a point where one felt believable, and then every movie moves further from that as a natural result of the escalation having to go higher. Uh, but also some of it just feels like directorial choice. Cause like, mm. I don't think there's any reason and I'm going to spoil something, but I think it's important. I don't think there's any reason for Dom to lift up a car <laughs> with his bare fucking hands and hold it there <clears throat> while Brian's underneath it. And then be so cheeky about it to be like, are you sure you got it? it it's, it plays in with the tonal shift that this series has taken and it's like they're aware of it yeah. and they're rolling with it. And that's fine. Cause like you said, the characters feel right. Like in this situation where Dom could actually physically lift a car that weighs that much and hold it there without barely breaking a sweat and still talking on the intercom, like nothing's going on fine. 
But if you actually look at the action, I don't, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. And then it's fine because this, these movies for the most part have moved past any realm of believability. See, here's the thing is like, in, in terms of well, characters. Yes. Well, actions, on its, no. well, on its face, I agree that that's ridiculous. And I could be wrong about this. I'm pretty sure they set up that the car is incredibly light. Not, and I'm not talking like, like a feather, but I'm talking like, Someone of Vin Diesel's stature could do it. I think. I think they movified a little bit with, you know, Brian joking around and then still being talking. Like he should be not speaking until he puts that car down. But yes. the lifting, outside of being absolutely fucking ridiculous, to see Vin Diesel ser- actually lift a car and the movie take it seriously. Yeah. It, 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 I get it. It's fine to me. Yeah, but I agree. Well, and and I'll, I'll agree with you. We'll get into that <clears throat> as we keep going because we should probably get moving along. But mm-hmm. uh, I will definitely agree in the sense that the movie, for the most part, tries to find whatever ways that it can yeah. to at least somewhat give you something to hold on to while you try and m- move into this reality where this is okay. It's like, oh, well, we're going to make this somewhat viable. We'll give you something to latch on to, even if we're pushing it past the realm of reality. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's like them trying to be like, you can't call us on it. You know, it's the Game of Thrones. Well, Danny forgot. You know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we can move on. We should probably get into the movie. Um, so I guess we really start with the setup of Shaw. And yep. so, well, did you like that scene? Because I have a lot of problems with Shaw, and I think this is the only time his character works in the movie for me. So, are we talking specifically uh, whenever Hobbs is, returns back into the police station or whatever yeah. you call it, the DSS office? Right. I'm talking. That's that's kind of where I'm moving up to. Unless you have something to say about no, the beginning. no. I'm just, I'm just wanting to make sure that's where we're kind of talking because I'd argue that this is the real beginning of the story yeah, in terms exactly. of what matters. Um, because it sets up his ability to know everything. So yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. I mean, I mostly like it, and I think it works because we don't. We're not quite at a point to where his ability to be everywhere at all times starts to just feel like movie magic. This feels yes. believable, and like someone with this kind of skill could absolutely do this. And I get that this goes into what we we're talking about a second ago, right? Give you something to hold on to while we build up past the realm of reality. We start with. Shaw in this Deckard Shaw, I should say. <laughs> yeah, we, we start with our new Shaw in a situation where I could totally see someone of his nimbleness and all this doing this, and then the movie tries me and like, well, how do you uh, how do you kill a shadow? You shine a little light on it. <laughs> they're they're trying, you know, they're yeah. doing what they can, and then it gets to a point where as the movie goes out, and then every couple <clears throat> of seconds he's just in the situation that was apparently like a challenge for this group of people to do, let alone this one man just fucking getting away with it constantly. It starts to feel ridiculous, but I agree with you in that scene. It feels like, okay, this is reasonable. This is believable. It's somewhat grounded for a still larger than life movie. And Mm -hmm. the, the ensuing fight still feels again, mostly believable within the confines of what you'd expect from like an action movie. Yeah. I've Um, decided that this is both Marvel meets James Bond American version. That, okay. That's where these films are going. Are, I would, are see, I, maybe, but I just, I was going to save this for later because there's a specific part that I'll, I'll expand on it later, but I'll tell you now, this is a, an anime, the entire series. 
I, I mean, I think that's believable. I think that's a fair interpretation. It, it's a superhero car anime. It's, but at least uh, as it pertains to um, cinema, that feels uh, like, you know, in my opinion, where where it's kind of drawing from. I felt like 5 had a lot of Ocean's Eleven, as I kept mentioning. Sure. But now as we keep going, it's almost like there's all this, well, now they're tied in with the government and they're getting government help. And it well, feels it, like secret things. And so now it feels like, trying to make an american version of 007 but we always so just like how the 007 yeah, no, movies wrong. end up having someone with like an like a normal american accent yeah and in a surrounded of people who don't and now we suddenly have mostly people who speak you know american english and we have this kind of you know british sounding yeah. girl oh i'm not i'm not <laughs> discounting it like there's definitely this whole like they take inspiration from a lot but this this movie sure. specifically later um <laughs> so now Hobbs, I don't know, but I'm, I'm excited. Maybe the listeners. If, if you, I'm blown away that you you don't know what scene I'm talking about. I think um, I do, but I'm still you. You to have to know the so Hobbs. How do you feel about him? Because I think this is one of his better scenes. And I know you had a, you and especially your wife had an issue with him. I think, like I said, I think by the end of five, I mostly buy his character. Yeah. And throughout six, I continue to buy that his character is the way he is. Now, I still feel like he's, in many ways, whether he is or isn't, he's used as a caricature. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, but I think that's supposed to be his character. He's Absolutely. I yeah. wouldn't call him one note, but that's kind of, he's supposed to be the guy who's just always like, here's his little girl, and he's leaving her behind <laughs> to go crash uh, daddy's gotta go to work (laughs) that's my point like don't wrong. they use it to good degree and i think it's cute and it does a lot to humanize shaw which i think they've been consistently or not shaw i'm sorry hobbs as i think they've been doing with every movie um you know even by the end of five he's relatively humanized he levels with these people who are on his list but still lets them get away because of a respect he has for him yeah and then six he lets that respect come back around and like a this is mutual benefit to me and to them we can make this happen and now we're kind of seeing this like almost weird brothership happening between them yeah at, at least specifically dom and hobbs but to the whole group in a lot of ways yeah i just love I think that scene because I just love the way he delivers these absolutely cartoonish lines. Yeah, dude, they're like catchphrases. He goes, uh, his his thing to Shaw in that scene. He, I think he says exactly like this: "You just earned yourself a dance with the devil, boy." I know he doesn't say it like that because I was a fucking cowboy. But imagine, <laughs> <laughs> but he does actually. You know what though? He does give it that like little twinge where he goes, "You just earned your dance yourself a dance with the devil, boy." You're under yeah. arrest. He does he give it the twin. He definitely does do. The I just boy. don't sound the like the rock. I sound like a fucking cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that scene leads us to them pursuing Shaw for Hobbs. If I'm not mistaken, I didn't write that part. But either way, all I wanted to do was move on to one of I think the better characters in this movie, which is Mister Nobody, played Great. by Kurt yeah. Russell. Awesome <laughs> character. Great casting. Yes. There's, there's something about the charisma that Russell, like Kurt Russell brings to screen that I absolutely love. I am never not a fan of him. I mean, literally mm-hmm. everything he's ever been in, I find him so charming on screen. And I think that they always use his character in a, a, a real sense that works out. Like even some of his more pushed characters, like, you know, if you want to think about something like John Carpenter's The Thing, I still yeah. find that him being the lead is something that is endearing and makes you 
kind of follow mm-hmm. it better. I don't know that there's another character and another actor in that entire movie that could lead the film. So yeah. there's something about him <clears throat> that I really love. And their use of him here is great because he's vague. Yeah. He's, he's, and I love that he's Mr. Nobody. Yes. You know, you don't really ever get much more information about him. He's meant to be that kind of whisper in the wind or that he shows up on a whim when you don't know it's coming and bam, mm-hmm. here he is. Uh, and he pulls it off well. I mean, I, you have to have an actor with charisma to do it. He, and I think he's a really great uh, – he breaks otherwise – I won't say too tense, but he acts as like a tension breaker to a lot of ways. Yeah. He reminds me of what the men in black would be if they were real. Absolutely. I thought you know? the same thing. He's kind of that perfect. When you were talking about uh, how Hobbes' character was originally intended – to yeah, be, I was thinking, yep. <laughs> yeah, but to be say. Tommy Lee Jones, I thought one of the other people I could actually see pulling off this role. I still think Kurt Russell was the right idea, but I felt like this was them kind of looking at that and being like, let's make a character that really is more like Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. But that's that's what it felt like to me, not necessarily during the movie, but like thinking about it and knowing that where it's like they wrote a role for that kind of actor this time, you know, <laughs> the old yeah. mentor kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, like I said, he's used to great effect. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that they carry him through the majority of the movie and keep him in play to where if he ever needs to come back around, he's there. Yeah, and he does have one of the better moments, I think, in the movie of the uh, night vision glasses and just pop, 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 pop. Everyone's even, dead. Yeah, even when he gets hit, that wink. Yeah. Ugh, telling you, man, Kurt Russell's that, great. I still wish... I The wink was good. I kind of wish it never happened. Because it... It left me like, why did he do that? Are oh, you ever going to explain why he did this? Because he had the vest on. Absolutely. Right. That's 100%. Yeah. They, they for, do explain it. It takes they, a while. I guess so. I just never put those two together. So it makes sense now that you're saying it. But when I saw it, I'm like, he's got a plan and him getting shot is going to trigger fucking, I don't know, Shaw's pacemaker. And he gets a heart attack. I don't like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I so, felt so like Shaw there was some bigger crank. Yeah, <laughs> that would be actually a very good setup but no i i just felt in the moment i felt like there would be more to it so i guess yes it makes sense it was the stuff but i also like the character moment you get when that when he sees shepherd die shepherd um <laughs> when he sees shepherd die and he has that like fatherly like oh that was my guy and now i'm going to kill all of you because shepherd is dead i really liked that yeah, I did like that too, and I liked that it was unsaid. Right, like it's all visual. Yeah, it's it's that, all it's all about building that little silent connection and 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 paying it off. Yeah, I mean, Shepard's the only one he's talking to. You know, he's got all those other men, but maybe that's a consequence of Shepard being the guy we're with, uh, who's named. But he's the yeah. only one that's like getting orders. You know, so when that goes away, he's like. Can't send a boy to do a man's job, I guess. (laughs) Let's back up a hair because we're kind of talking about whenever he comes in. But, you know, what happens before he comes in is the first provocation or the first series of provocations that lead us to the position for Mr. Nobody to come into play, which is Shaw killing Han and then immediately trying to kill at least least Dom. But if he's lucky, Dom and Brian and Mia as – I would argue that Mia is just collateral damage at that point. Mia and Jack, yeah. um, though, for Shaw's twisted sense of revenge, he probably considers them worthy of dying too. Yeah. Um, but 
and all that. Um, it was just, it was, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on within that because one of the things that Mr. Nobody says that was never completely made clear throughout the movie. <clears throat> and it was almost one of those vague things where it's like, am I sure I believe what he's saying right now mm. is when Mr. Nobody comes up and says, uh, the mutual friend of Hobbes. And I don't necessarily know by the end of the movie that I 100% believe that Mr. Nobody was actually there because of Hobbes. No, I, I it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're like, these are just the guys and this is just their opportunity. And I know that he knows Hobbes. And if that gets me the moment of trust I need to get him where I need him to present my opportunity, yeah. then bam. Exactly. Yeah, I thought that was real interesting. I, I actually thought he was going to betray them for a little well, bit. And again, that's the perfect use of that character. He's meant to be the vague character. Like I, you know, we'll get to that scene completely. But there's one scene in the movie where I was completely like, I could see this being the twist. And mm-hmm. I'm glad it wasn't because it is one of those things where it's, it's good that you can believe that because it means they're doing their job of keeping him as a kind of rogue character. Um, yeah. But that charisma, I'm glad it pays off as that he is on their side, you know. But there is that moment, and that means that they're doing the right thing and making you believe it could happen and then also doing the right thing by not paying off that easy impulse. Exactly. Um, but uh, one thing I thought was interesting, I don't know if you've ever watched Scrubs, but the, mm-hmm. the hospital that they were in, and I don't know, maybe this is even just a Hollywood thing, but it was Sacred Heart Hospital. Yeah. And I thought it would have been so great. So even if it was just one of those little things where they don't put a name to it. To have like just, Turk walk by or something Yeah, they, yeah, the they, they just hire you know, Donald, Donald, whatever his name is. I can't remember his last name. Um, Fison, something like that. Or, or yeah. they get... Um, Zach Braff. Zach Braff's character to come through and just be a doctor for a second and clearly make a reference. I love things like that. And I feel like it's just, I feel like this series has already done enough to where you could totally do that. And I wouldn't disbelieve it at all. It wouldn't take me out of the series. Um, that would be one of those where I hope he just like, you see him look around, glance into the camera and then look back, you know, that kind of like, yeah, yeah. Where it's small too, where it's almost like one of those things where if the person had never watched Scrubs, it doesn't feel like it took that much. Like they can almost circuit off as just a normal thing. But then if you did, it's like, ah, I get that little nice. (laughs) I I get that nice little thing there. Um, also before we move on, yeah. Am I crazy for thinking that Hobbs' kid looks kind of like Letty? No. no. I was like, yo, did Letty? <laughs> <laughs> I like, we don't see a mom here. This, this kid is apparently just with Hobbs as a dad, which I like Hobbs. Terrible position to be in to be a parent. <laughs> yeah. But I just, again, small notes around that section that I thought were interesting. But the bigger thing was the, the takeaway I had at the end of the movie. And even after, I guess kind of the last scene where we see Mr. Nobody is was Hobbs ever really actually even involved <laughs> in this. And I guess that, I makes think he me, was only involved with Shaw. Um, oh, you Hobbs. Yeah. Like I yeah, think Hobbs. Shaw was the extent and then. Yeah. Moved and yeah, there. maybe. And, and maybe he was not lying so much as he was just, telling truthful information in a way that made it seem like he well, Hobbs. Him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on behalf. Right. Exactly. I just think or, it, to me, it's the implication of what could be in the future for this character. Or even still, like that's kind of one of those things with nobody where like he Hobbs is the best of his class and these are the best of their class and Hobbs knows the best of their class. So it's just like, yeah, I heard about you from Hobbs because I know everything about Hobbs and I sure. know about how you destroyed Rio de Janeiro for Hobbs. Like, yeah, and see, I guess that's <laughs> my thing about again the the vagueness of the character and the implications of the future for him is that 
there's almost this sense of like, I could almost believe that even though him and him and Dom and all of them are cool, that Mr. Nobody could actually be somebody who's not in good, like, you know, what would you even call that? I guess he's not good in general with Hobbs due to some kind of clashing of, you know, government versus non-government. But then again, I don't know. I mean, Hobbs clearly is okay to break the rules of the government. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we've seen. But I, um, there's almost this thing where I could believe Mr. Nobody and Hobbs aren't necessarily eye-to-eye seeing people. No, now, And sure. I could be completely wrong, but again, good use of that character to just be the uh, the seeming wild card. Yeah, and listen, you never see them in the same room, so they, they could be the same character. Well, exactly. Um, is, is it not a wild card moment to suddenly put on night vision gla- or to the glasses that you've had this entire time <laughs> to apparently be night vision and then you're just cap ass for fucking... Was, dude, it's a sick moment, but it's one of those things where because you don't know enough about him, you believe it entirely. You're like, exactly. Oh, yeah, makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that will get us over to... The introduction to our newest character, which is the hacker Ramsey, played by Natalie Emmanuel of Game of Thrones fame. Did you know her before this movie, Brett? No clue. She's a very pretty lady, though. She is a very pretty lady. This movie tells you that a lot. And uh, she's also she's also a fairly solid actress. Yeah. No, I really like her. She's I, I was, great in Game I was of impressed by that. Yeah. Um, just because I know I'll forget about it later. You can totally edit this out. Mm-hmm. I just I wanted you to know. I could not stop myself from laughing whenever they're at Han's funeral or they're not even at Han's funeral. I think they're talking inside of the thing about what the thing is. And then Roman says, just promise me, Brian, no more funerals. And he goes, just one more. And then they look this pause. And then he, <laughs> and then he says, yes, I wanted it to be like, just one more mine. <laughs> Oof. That would have been whoo! too soon. And then too Brian soon. looks into the camera. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that's that's the scrub Help reference. Me. Help me. <laughs> that's fucked up. I have to cut it. That's why I ruined it. <laughs> you probably would have had to cut it anyway, but I yeah. could not stop laughing because I like dark humor like that. So that shit was just cracking me up. It, Even my wife that, laughed when I said it. Even just discussing that, I, I probably will still cut it. I wish that they'd had Brian like look around a second and be like, oh, nobody figured out what I'm saying. His, his, his funeral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because actually that, that would have been a kind of funny little... Uh, like, a, like just a character moment. Yeah, yeah, just like, just one more. And then everybody's looking at him like, are you talking about you, bro? <laughs> what like, the oh, no, 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 do no. you mean? Roman just turned, what? <laughs> oh, no, no. Do you want to talk about it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> You've been going through it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you need some money. We had millions, but I um, you, you missed the bullets, cut. <laughs> uh, anyway, we can yes. keep going. Yes, so, uh, our our new character. Yes, and we are introduced to Ramsey with a great scene, but no, not my favorite scene of this movie. The airdrop. Interesting. I need to know how you feel about the airdrop. I like the airdrop. Partially I it was awesome. because of the fact that as goofy as the idea of an airdrop is, and I I really do mean that. <laughs> it's dumb. On the service level, that's a ridiculous idea. Yeah, it's not great. And the only person who's really being realistic about <laughs> how ridiculous that idea <laughs> is Roman. And I using love that for the comedic relief purposes that they do 
is wonderful. All the way to following through from the beginning of the fact that he doesn't want to do it to at the end of the uh, initial drop, the fact that he doesn't even land with them is brilliant. <laughs> I, I love the just... perfect use. He's just spinning in the air. Yeah. And then I love that after they forced his car out and forced him to go through this thing he didn't even want to do, they're like, we'll come back and pick you up. <laughs> See, <laughs> Why what, did you just leave me on the fucking plane? What I really liked was him going, that wasn't the plan. And I'm like, yeah, you ruined the plan, you motherfucker. You should have left the plane. Oh, that's ooh, that's funny, boy. I tell yeah. That's a great scene. Even, again, I, I think the... I, I love that this series is... I mean this in like a weird way. It's kind of like I love and hate, but yeah. I really just mean that it's like where you when you say like oh, I hate you, but it's like you're really like you clever <laughs> yeah. bastard. Or I wouldn't say clever, but there this movie series is like an insistence on saying something in the beginning of the movie and then just being like, No, but we're actually gonna totally do that. So well, like the in the beginning of the fly. movie he's like, Jack cars don't fly. I was like <laughs> I and don't be wrong, I had never seen the drop. I had no clue that was in this movie. Yeah. And as soon as he threw that car and it did that, and then the camera put panned down and focused on it, I said Somehow, some way, a car is going to be in the air for a long period of time, <laughs> essentially flying. And I like that that's not even the point where they use that line again. Yeah. <laughs> it's later in the movie where you'd think, like, it would have been a funny if Roman had just been like, cars don't fly, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But instead, they use it way later. Way later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which I think is still good use. It's it's an interesting thing of showing restraint when trying to think about how to write in comedic relief because that's yeah. what all because uh, cars don't fly is just cheeky foreshadowing. Exactly. But then going in and having the restraint to not do it at the obvious part because it's already funny that they foreshadowed it this way, and then waiting for a moment that is still arguably it fits, but it's not when you would have expected it is it's a good use. You know. It, yeah. It's you can surprise the viewer as as often as possible by trying to subvert expectation. Yeah. So that would bring us to when they finally land, which was, it's awesome. I really like that. The plan works it is obviously going to work because it's a movie, but just the fact that they all just land and keep going. I'm like, that's cool. I like that. You and that Tez nailed this. I, I do um, like that, but I'm also going to back up one second. Yeah. We cannot go through this before without talking about the scene, the entirety of the scene. Sure. Again, I love it's so funny to me that watching Too Fast, Too Furious by itself when I was young and expected different things from the series, I didn't care for him. I didn't hate him or love him. I just remember always joking about the We Hungry because it felt like so (laughs) stupid to me. We Hungry. But I absolutely love his use as comedic relief in every movie. The fact that he has that moment at the table where he's like, you tell me to... uh, Stop a tank and I just do it. And then you tell me to shoot a plane out there and I do it. No problems. <laughs> but now I want to make decisions. Yeah. And then the as plan. soon as as soon as Dom looks at him, it's like, oh, well, I mean, you know, I didn't I, I didn't mean like right I now. Mean now. <laughs> I like I like and I like that they call that back too, where Tez is like, This was your plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, everything about it was just so interesting. And even Mr. Nobody in that scene where he's like, We're uh, you know, this is wrong thinking. I like yeah. it. <laughs> uh, I, but yeah, I all like that's Go ahead. I also just enjoy the fact that they did what he said. They he you he, he clearly points to a random spot in the map and is like, we should go here. Yep. And then they and, just do it. They drop planes, cars from planes just to do what he says. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it's and it's funny because you could argue that they're doing it for the movie occasion of like, oh, well, we gotta get there. <clears throat> but it almost feels like they're doing it as like a lesson to him to Yeah, help. it's like spite. We're gonna yeah. throw you out of a fucking plane because you were ungrateful. 
Well, because like I love that he says, I think we should drop here. And then the guy's like, here, that's impossible. And he's like, no, nah, man, here. See, it's when they least expect it. Like he's just winging the plan. Yeah. And they're <laughs> like, that's actually brilliant. <laughs> but this leads I got an me, idea. Yes. This leads me to the most ridiculous line in this whole movie. It's okay. kind of dumb, tiki, a cheeky tongue in cheek, all that crap where I, it was also a little too thick. I think it was laid on too thick. But, you know, the, hey, give me the demon uh, child of this <laughs> and this. And then he's like, it'll add weight, slow you down. He goes, this time, it's not just about being fast. <laughs> I, I saw that and fully expected him to go, because this time I'm furious. furious. <laughs> <laughs> and I was both laughing about my dumb joke about that, but also slightly upset that they didn't have the balls to go all the way through to just go ahead and they say should it. Have, he should have said it. <laughs> and then at least I would be like, there's a reason that you call it Furious 7. <laughs> Instead, it's just implied. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do but you, yes, do you, then that leads to everything, right? Then we, yeah. get, the, we get the drop, we land, and then... Uh, go ahead go ahead I'll, well, I'll, I'll chime in where i'm thinking whenever well we i just there. i want to talk about the chase because i have a lot of problems with it and it's a problem that this series has but i think oh. the chase visually is really cool i like of course what brian does just jumping across cars and shit i thought that was all really cool uh my giant problem is that this um series overuses guns and doesn't let anyone get shot oh, and it doesn't time. work it's it the only time it makes sense is when Tej has the armored car. I love but, that forma- the formation. And yeah, that, that was awesome. Yeah. But, uh, but then they fuck it up later. They fuck up later because they have that scene where Letty and Tej are on the side of the car of the bus. And, and there's shooting. no way that, that, that Letty doesn't get eviscerated. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Because they specifically say those are armor piercing rounds. Yep. Letty does not have a bulletproof car. So the MP5s don't get her. And then she's sitting directly next what? to miniguns and, and she's listen, fine. The car armor, keeps driving. If even if the one that Tej is in is, is bulletproof, it's armor piercing. It would go yeah. through that car. Exactly. But every I'm more willing scene, to accept Tej. Yeah. Because every they at bit least of that scene that. is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's constantly trying to like. Be like, here's the reason that you should believe it. And this is what I was talking about earlier, right? It gives you some small thing and then just throws it to the fucking yeah. wind. It's like, here's the reason that you should believe this is working. But also, here's the reason why we're going to completely ignore everything we just right. said. They should have just stormtroopered it. That's all they should have done. <laughs> Everyone. But that's the thing. It's like, I wouldn't question a bunch of guys not being able to hit cars moving at 80 miles an hour. They should have just been like, they can't get hit. You know, because at least that would have made sense. But like Brian's getting full on MP5 to the windshield and just nothing. He's like, oh, no, this is scary. But that's it. <laughs> that's it. He doesn't get hurt. And that's yeah. I think I have a that's uh, this feels weird to say because they were obviously not planning for Brian's for Paul Walker to, to pass away tragically. But it's fascinating to me that there are hundreds of opportunities in this movie to kill that character and they don't do it and then that happens you know because the movie puts him in situations where if he died i would have been like oh okay and we'll get to this later because it's a big problem i have with shaw he should shaw should have killed him that would have that would have raised the stakes for the movie Oh, and I yeah. think that scene specific. The reason I bring it up here is because he should have he should have been eviscerated 
in that scene where there's just machine guns hitting his windshield. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. The whole scene was just, again, when you're looking and trying, like I actually tried to turn off my brain and get lost in the visual spectacle, but the movie made it hard because it was like, they were constantly trying to show me that they had zero care for what they're trying to set up. And that is weird. It's, it's hard to turn your brain off completely. Cool scene visually, like you said, right. But I also feel like this movie has a penchant for going way too into elongated fight scenes for no real reason. Yeah. And that's why I argue, I think you could cut 20 minutes off this movie just by cutting half of the fist fights in half because they don't change anything. And it's Mm -hmm. just more or less the same moves over and over again. The example is in this scene uh, when we're doing the chase and Brian's in there, he jumps in, he does all the stuff, gets her out, but then he's fighting the dude one-on-one and it's just going on forever. And they're just slap. I, I almost yeah. would have preferred them to just been slap fighting each other. Like where it wasn't <laughs> even anything other than I'm like, yeah, and like hitting hands yeah. because that's what it looked like and felt like, even though clearly it's not what it is. It just, it went on so long that I was like, at least make it funny at this point, you know? Right. Um, I, you know what though? I will weird. say that fight scene does pay off pretty hilariously where they have a dead bus driver literally drive the bus for like two miles. Okay. Because they they have him sliding and turning the wheel. I'm like, this is <laughs> fucking insane. Dude, follow me for a second, though. <laughs> yes. This is something I just... It was more of a dumb joke, and then it led to me being like, wait a minute, why hasn't this happened yet? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I As soon as it happened and the bus is like going crazy fast because this bus driver's dead or at worst, like unconsciously shot and going to die and just on the gas and just turning like crazy... I was making a joke to my wife about having Keanu Reeves come up just as like a, a little minor speed like reference. Like you don't you don't actually do anything other than just hire Keanu Reeves to be in this movie at this point. And then I thought, wait, why the fuck is Keanu Reeves not in the Fast series yet? I'm, you know what we we never mentioned it, but Fast Five versus John Wick. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would watch the fuck out of that movie. Fuck your Jurassic World. John Wick has to join forces with the Fast Crew. Would Dude, be I, a dream movie. I believe it. It's the weird thing. I I believe you know, that more than I would believe the Jurassic World bullshit they're probably going to do. Well, exactly. Just like we talked. To, uh, just like we talked about. There are certain movies where it's like I can see these two worlds coming together. Zero issues. And I feel like John Wick is a perfect example of that. And I also feel like Transformers is a perfect example. I would not bat an eye. Definitely, as these movies keep getting crazier, if you're just like, yeah, there's there's a robot transforming cars. Yes. Okay. Let's do it. But yeah, I that's a real thing. I am almost curious how long if, if this entire series before <clears> it ends <throat> goes to the end without having Keanu Reeves in a single time, it's going to blow my mind. Yeah, I would be pretty shocked. I do love that every movie so far is like, what What actor can we just kind of convince to be here? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kurt, what are you doing today? Um, okay, so I guess that takes us to the bus flip, yeah, which is nuts. Um, how did you see, how did you feel about the Uncharted movie? <laughs> I think I like the entirety of that sequence more than I'm likely to like the Uncharted movie that's going to come out. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you on that one. No, it, it was definitely one of those things where as it's <clears throat> happening, I'm like, this is... Okay, I can't say that, right? Because Uncharted is clearly looking after and inspired by action movies. 
of course, and to have these Excuse big me. scenes. But it's really specifically aimed at a lot of like the Indiana Jones, which I don't necessarily think would have a scene like this where a bus is hanging off a cliff and you're going to have to try and climb out from it. I don't in my mind because of the media I watch. Are you saying Indiana Jones wouldn't have that scene? Not from well, I, I mean, like arguably they have it in like the, uh, the the Kingdom of the Skulls and whatnot. But I think the older movies aren't. Well, I just had to. I had to clear modern. up. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, no. I there was just a second there where I thought you said Uncharted doesn't have you climb up a bus on the side of a cliff, and I was oh, about to be no, like, it's yeah. not a bus, but it's come on, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the, the bus was just all I could do to not be like, okay, this is just like, well, guys, that Uncharted scene was pretty cool. We can't do a train when what he did the bus? fucking. Um, when he was hanging on the door as it came down, I was yeah. like, that is, I've seen, I've played that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Which, it, it's cool. I mean, don't wrong. You have that thing where you're kind of just being, you're just yeah. being uncharted, but I mean, it was fine. No, uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, just it's another a, instance for you to kill. <laughs> to, it to is. Kill Brian, yes. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been the one where I'm glad you survived. Cause that would have been a fucking Brian got crushed by a fucking bus. Dude, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm actually the the part I'm thinking is like him running off the bus and he just doesn't make it. To he Letty. just misses. He just misses. So, and wouldn't that be interesting though? Because like, what if Letty has to tell Dom that, and then the, there's a new dynamic in this movie where like, like did you let him die? Where Dom is having to deal with like the reality of like, here's Letty, the girl he loves, and still have it underpinned with the fact that she doesn't have all these memories. Yeah, and then have him kind of dealing with this thing that he finally admits into this movie like where they're clearly like a brother like they're brothers for each other that would have been an interesting dynamic to play off of it but the the whole and this sounds bad but the whole paul walker dying of it all is inescapable because i i think that the movie there's i mean we know that there's no way the movie was intended to go this way which means that a lot of things had to change to make an ending that didn't feel like you were disservicing Paul Walker by killing his character off. Well, Though, as we'll, as we'll discuss later, I don't think the studio cares about disservicing Paul Walker. Um, well, well, we'll definitely get there. And, and, and maybe maybe it's not the studio, right? Maybe it's the directors who are pushing and being like, this is important to us. Maybe it's the crew being like, this is important to us. We need this movie to end with Brian getting a happy ending. Oh, and, yeah, that's not what I mean. You know, I'm sure there's a million things that went down, but... I actually, it's weird, right? Because there's two things. There's the fact that this movie is so much about family that losing family is clear, or these the series has become so much about family as everybody kind of memes about, but it's still true. Uh, that losing a family member is clearly a good way to play <clears> off of things and and have big ramifications and raise stakes and stuff like that, like you talked about. Having Shaw kill Brian and having that be a new motivation for what's yeah. going on more than just trying to save yourselves is amazing that yeah. is a well, very crazy story but at the same so, time it feels good to have brian have his story come complete it does you know but okay so i was gonna talk about this later but fuck it we're on the topic i have a gigantic problem with shaw in this movie and it's because his character is talked about one way and is on display completely differently i think Hobbs, i agree but go ahead shaw is talked about as this ruthless, brutal killer who these guys are going to have a hell of a time escaping from. Now, this includes future spoilers, but let's just say as far as this movie, Shaw only wins once. 
when he catches someone off guard. This movie never shows Shaw beating them, which he beats Hobbs, but even arguably he doesn't because he cheats and Hobbs survives, right? So well, I think that's it, though, right? Is that the movie's trying to tell you that he's the kind of guy who would cheat? Yes, but what I what I mean is like he didn't. It wasn't this like he beat Hobbs fair and square. Oh no, he's terrifying. He threw a fucking grenade at him. You know what I mean? But he's it, terrifying in that sense of he's willing to do anything to win. Right. I just mean a loose cannon. That's, I just wrong. I, still I just mean your it, thing from last week where Carter Verone's still a far more terrifying adversary. If if Shaw is supposed to be portrayed as this terrifying guy, to me, you do that better by him beating Hobbs to near death with his hands. And then the only reason he survives because Elena showed up right at the right time. Yeah. It's because it's weird, but I feel like this Shaw is a step back from even the last one as weird yes. as that sounds. Cause at He's, least the last one was constantly ahead of the game. Right. And that's the thing is, and my problem with him is the only person he kills in this movie is Han and he doesn't even come close to anybody else. And then that's, that even sets up a problem later down the line because he didn't kill Han. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I They've mean, announced that. So it's yeah. like, you know, I guess I, I, maybe I'll bleep that out for spoilers of Fast 9. I don't know, but they, they've announced that he's not dead. So this Shaw fails at every turn. So why is he intimidating? Why well, is see, he scary? And if, and if Shaw had killed Brian or killed Letty or killed Roman or killed Tej... In the context of what happened in real life, it would have made more sense to kill Brian. But if he does that, then it's like, oh, fuck. We can't beat him. Instead, they beat him at every turn, really doing absolutely nothing differently. Because none of their plans go off the rails, even though he shows up every time, except God's Eye. But that's because they fuck that up, too. Right? The crew fucks up there. That's not Shaw. They, They drop the important part. You know, Shepard should I mean, never yes. be in there, right? True, like, realistically. True. Yeah, you, that, you shouldn't actively have the thing if you're already at the location where you've last seen him. Exactly. You should keep that safe at all costs. And I do agree there. I think that this movie is kind of a tale of two Shaws, right? I think there's yeah. interesting things that show you Shaw can be cunning. But even then, it's like he doesn't win from it. So, like, no. one of the things I really liked about uh, their use of him, and this, there's very few, but I did like this, is that when he appears out of fucking nowhere on a mountain that we're told is impossible to get on, and yeah. yet here this motherfucker is, uh, that was stupid. I was like, okay, so they have to airdrop in, but this guy just fucking drove a car up a mountain, apparently. But move along, because one of the things that came from it that I thought was interesting is him looking through the dust cloud being there, so him yes. being unsure about his shot, having enough time, and then he says, hmm, interesting. And, he lets and, Dom and you're go. not exactly sure what's going on and why. And then it's revealed that he was smart enough to realize that, ah, this man's against him, so if I go and look at this man, I can recruit him to be the enemy of my enemy being my friend. And I thought that was a good use of showing cunning and like clever. And I think that cunning and clever have their own ways of being I wouldn't want necessarily say terrifying, but I guess it's 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 more terrifying than just showing up places. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, but even then, you know what this guy reminds me of? I'm not even joking. I was cracking myself up whenever he just suddenly rolls up in the middle of this mountain chase that we're told is impossible to get on without being in this isolated clothes thing, and then suddenly he just pops out, but from behind a tree, basically in a car. Did you ever play Ski Free? Yes. 
He j- I feel like Shaw in this movie is just the abominable snowman dude from Steve <laughs> <Reed>. <laughs> I this don't disagree. Movie, this whole <clears throat> movie, he's just that guy. But yeah, I mean, it was it's interesting. I mean, there's moments where I think that they show up they there's a version of Shaw that is formidable. Then there's versions of Shaw where it's just like <laughs> I what? just think I just think the formidable Shaw goes away when he loses for the fourth time in the movie. No, you know? it absolutely does. Yeah. Like that whole absolutely. ending, that whole ending outside of the fact that like with most of these, you know, that the characters you're watching are safe. Um, I never was like, oh, he's going to do something. I'm like, no, he's going to fucking fail. Yeah, that was it. You know, um, can you imagine a an action movie that actually goes all the way into being like, here are people we've seen that for the sake of action movies, you typically know who's going to live and who's going to die because action movies, while they want to be all up in this crazy explosions and deaths and whatnot, they never want it to be at the sake of anyone who's important. Yeah. I would love to actually have seen a movie dedicate through and have the balls to be like, we're going to kill Brian so that we have a motivation. Yeah, absolutely. And even though we lose a character, we gain a lot in what we're actually doing. We're, ma- we're moving the needle with our movie in a way that most viewers wouldn't anticipate. Right. I think that's what's interesting about like George, George R. R. Martin when he was talking about Game of Thrones. He's like, he kills main characters because that's how war is, right? Yeah. Like, it, makes, it doesn't make sense that everyone survives. And in this, it doesn't really either. Like no, Most of exactly. them should have died in this chase. But, well, because it, it constantly makes you doubt the ability of the of the enemy, right? And that well, then that's the thing too is like if Shaw is never successful, then why am I scared of him? You know, it's like oh, he's gonna crash the car a couple times, and then Dominic's gonna do a wheelie, and he's fine. Like it's just it there, there's no there was no fear from him. They didn't even have a side character to kill. They didn't have a. I think his name was Jimmy in the first movie, or. Even the guys who they have, the Dominican guys, they, one of them could have died. And it would have been at least like some kind of like if we've, we've failed against this guy and it makes him scarier. That's why Thanos in Endgame is so scary because he won. No, I agree. And I actually think that like going back and saying that this Shaw feels like somewhat of a backstep, I felt like even though we talked last week about uh, what was it? Owen Shaw or whatever his yeah. brother is. Um that version of Shaw has his own issues um, because he's he's the exact inverse. He's too good at everything, but you're not really you don't understand why he's cocky yeah. and he just yeah and it, he ends up falling flat because he feels like he uh, you know one of the great you said, we bring up Thanos and I think Thanos is always a great example because Thanos has got this weird humanity to him. And I don't yeah. feel like the last Shaw had that. But what he did have is the ability to actually pull things off and put people in a position where you'd be like, oh, I'm actually worried about that. Yeah. And a good example of that is, is even though it was obvious to me as a viewer, if you think about it within these characters, him having the little uh, ace up his sleeve of having gotten um, Mia – uh, mm-hmm. at least and not jack or, or elena but mia is important because it sets a fear specifically within brian yep but you don't have that here no one's taken no, no one is no one's in any kind of real conceivable danger <clears throat> and this movie has a thing and i really i'm not trying to tear it down i actually did enjoy this movie in a lot of ways yeah but this movie is of all of them probably feels the most 
happenstance. Like, here's a movie. We have to have this happen. And all movies are technically that, right? Right. You, you write something into existence because you need it to happen. Yeah, you can exactly. write it in a way that feels believable. And everything about this movie feels like it just was that way because we needed it to be for convenience sake. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a good example of that is like when Hobbs comes back into play. Yes. It, it yep. feels, don't get me wrong, it's fun, but it feels so stupid. That and was, it, I think, the most noticeable thing for me was Hobbs crashing into the drone doesn't make any sense. How could he have known where the exactly. drone was? How could he have known it was under a, a thing and that he was going to jump off? None of it adds up. It's just spectacle and happenstance so that the movie has a reason to bring Shaw, I mean, Hobbs back in in a real right. way. And, you know, it's funny that we're talking about villains. I actually feel like the – I don't know exactly what country he was, but the the, the, <clears throat> war, the war boss that they introduce. Oh, Jaconde. Uh, yeah, Jaconde. He is far more interesting of a villain. Yeah. And far better used as a villain and also probably provides the only real fear consistently. Yeah. Uh, It it also brings in another layer of happenstance that they're constantly being able to get uh, escape these things. But the movie at least is like, oh, this is a plan. The whole reason there were three of them is to constantly do this. So he's a much better villain. Yes. And he's he's intimidating. I think the biggest problem with Shaw is he's a single man. So you have to you have to give me a reason to believe this single man is a threat to these people, and the movie doesn't do it. You have to show me the single man right. is as is, is formidable as this because at least Jaconde has an army. So you're oh. like, okay, that's that's intimidating because he has people. He can just be like, the fifty people next to me are going to go kill you. That's scary, but it's like, oh, ooh, Jason Statham's coming. Oh, that's not scary. <laughs> that's one dude. Well, like another example, right, is that we look back at Owen. And I know that, they're again, they're trying to up the ante, right? So it's got to be last time it was a group of people. Now it's one person who's supposed to be capable of all these things. But like you said, they don't sell it because he's not. He never wins. So he's clearly not actually capable. Mm -hmm. But let's go back and look at Owen. I think part of what makes Owen at least better, in my opinion, than their use of Shaw so far, or, you know, Deckard, is that there is that sense with Owen that he's not by himself. It's a group of coordinated people who are making these things happen this way. Like Owen by himself, there's no way Owen could do the, oh, well, I've got Mia because of this, this, this. That only happens because Owen has a connection and and a group of people who are constantly doing things with him. And we don't see that from Deckard until he gets with Jaconda, but that still doesn't quite work. Because I, again, I think he Jakarta is just such a more formidable person. He feels like he was supposed to be the villain all along, and that he was using Shaw as like his way to get into where he wants to be. But that's not how the movie plays out. No, and that would have <laughs> been interesting. But I think we can move on um, to Abu Dhabi, when- where this movie took a very unfortunate opportunity uh, or missed an opportunity to show camel drifting while in the middle east <laughs> that would have been sick dude I, I i know that i keep making these dumb jokes but at this point i think this series is so over the top you could get away you with can get away with it <laughs> i would have i would have loved a scene of them leaving and you see them like got like fucking their dress shirts as as head cut head covers and they're fucking going on camels <laughs> and all this shit that would have been incredible like even something as simple, and I really mean this, as when they're first pulling in and they're and they're where the thought crossed my mind is that they're driving on the road into the 
wherever they're at in the Middle East. Beautiful and, scenes, by the way. And you, you see the people walking on the road with the camels. I was like, dude, I would have loved to have seen like a off the side of the highway, like a, a track where people are in the backs of camels racing and like betting money just to give me <laughs> just to, first of all, it's tying into like the whole underground street racing thing that every place seems to have, but yeah. then have it be, you know, culturally uh, in line with what's going on there. It's like, oh, well, the people who aren't in the, you know, beautiful high rise towers that are billionaires who don't have that kind of money. They still find a way to pull off these same things with mm-hmm. what they do have, which is like camels and whatnot. And I just think it would have added an interesting character. It would have been kind of fitting for the series. It's all of that kind of coming together. I, I, I laughed at the idea, but I also thought it would have been kind of fun. It would have been fun. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a ton to say about this, except this part of the movie has my favorite scene of the series. Oh, so the car. Yeah, the jump is my favorite scene of this entire series. It's so fun and it's so dumb. I there's so many things. It is dumb. There's so many things about this part of the movie. Going back to my I thought about cutting this movie down, you can make this entire section of the movie way less than what it was. Yeah, you could have gotten rid of the awful performance by Ronda Rousey. Holy shit. It I'm was so glad you said it. It was bad she Dude. should never do anything but punch women i'm sorry I, sh- I shouldn't say that she should never do anything but be an mma fighter because she's awful Dude, I'm telling you, when she said, thank God you showed up, I was these like, parties bore me to death with all the charisma of like Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I what are you doing I- with your face? Iggy Azalea was better. <laughs> oh, God. And that was bad, too. Awful. But yeah, holy shit, dude. Like, don't wrong. Once she started fighting, I was like, okay, this is fine. But yeah. Ooh. She should have been like Gina Carano. And I, I'm not trying to make a conversation. Con- con- I can't say the word controversial statement here but gina carano is a better actress than ronda rousey and she had less lines it's because of all those conservative thoughts she has i guess so okay anyway yeah no i completely agree i think it's so weird that they chose Uh but this is this goes into it's both a boon and a problem with the series so uh, again earlier i say it's interesting that they'd be like who can we get in on these movies and i think the kurt russells of it are fun yeah, and like the Charlize Theron's for the next movie, I'm sure will be fun. Can't and wait. the Love new her. person they're bringing in that's part of the 007 franchise probably be a great time. Really fun. It's Judy Dench, I still think. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. And then you run into all these weird things that they feel necessary to put in, like Iggy Azalea, yeah, why? and Ronda Rousey, why? And you just get this point of like those moments tend to be to the detriment of the franchise. And again, cut it out. Or at least, okay, like a good example of how you could do something better is the last movie. As much as the last movie was kind of hit or miss for me, the use of the character that ends up turning and and was Owen's person all along, she felt like a believable, strong woman. Ronda Mm -hmm. Rousey just feels like they were like, hey, can we hire an MMA fighter to just beat up Letty real quick? But it didn't feel weighted to anything. Like, you know, the, the fight between Letty and the girl in the last movie felt right within the pacing of the movie. It felt like it was a real reason to be there and slow them down and introduce something and then i feel like ronda rousey was just here to be like hey is there a way we could introduce ronda rousey in this yeah. and it's also part of why that part of the movie goes on for arguably 15 minutes more than it needs to yeah um, but i will agree the car jumping between each building sick the yeah. fact that this car that's in the middle of a thing would have no brakes makes zero sense like it, would, it, it does make sense because that's i assume 
one of two things. The brakes went out or that's why it's in the vault. So let me let me spell you something out that I think you would agree would be a lot more interesting. But at the same time, it'd be one of those things where it's like you you'd have to get to where maybe Brian wasn't the one in there with Dom, but yeah. or you can have it to be where the thing was at that he was trying to get to was specifically in the way and that in a in the effort of trying to get the piece out of the car he cuts the brakes on accident or yes. ends up getting a line. And then it's discovered that like all the brake fluid leaked out before they needed them. So bam, that's why we don't have brakes. I feel like there's such an easy way to make that believable instead of just having it suddenly be that we need the brakes. The brakes aren't there. See, to me, I just went, that's why the car's in the vault. He can't, it's, it's undrivable, but it's 3.4 million. He's, he's, he's a, billionaire he could it's not that it's undrivable he, right. it's in his car because of status yeah it, but he he would totally have it be that he could take that car down and drive it anytime he wants but There's why no would he when he a has a billionaire would be like hey you know this crazy rare car that i have up in here let's make sure that i can never actually no drive. the billionaire would be like this is a 3.4 million dollar car i'm gonna go ahead and drive my one hundred and fifty thousand dollar lamborghini as my day car that's i don't know that that i'm not saying you're wrong i'm saying that's where I how I rationalized it like it, it's in the vault because it doesn't have brakes move on yeah I mean look I'm just saying it's one of those things where if it's going to be that then why even have the car be bulletproof and all that other shit it just to me it feels like if you're going to have it just sit in your thing as being a fancy car then just take the fucking engine out if it's if you can't stop it why make it even be able to go it just none of it connects and I'm I feel not, like you could have again done so. A You're good, not that wrong. would have been a good use of, uh, of, of, I feel like, Roman. And, and I get that they tried using Roman to be the distraction. Again, I think that was a poor choice. Having Rome happen to be with Dom, I think, would have been an interesting dynamic. We don't really see them two working together very often. This would have been an interesting place to do that. Put Brian somewhere else where he makes sense. And then have Rome be in there. Rome's trying to get this piece out. Rome fucks up, cuts the brakes kind of thinks it's going to be okay because he doesn't need the car. He doesn't even mention it. And then they, ha- they end up having to hop in the car. And then that ends up acting as kind of like a funny comedic relief scene, but also like I believe Roman would fuck up like that. Yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I just, I, I, I rationalized it to myself. You just, um, you just thought the car scene was so cool that it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it really if the car breaks, I would have had, it, he, there's no way he would have jumped through another building. Yeah, exactly. I just, I love that scene. It's so, so stupid. I thought about it because at first I was like, so what goes on? I was like, you know, are they just like, how do they, do, he runs out of buildings to jump to eventually. I thought, well, they're kind of like in like a triangular fashion. So it's like, I guess technically, as long as he could just keep going fast enough and dropping a little bit by little bit, yep. he could have just crashed that into each building until he got to the bottom and then drove away. And how sick would that have been? That would have been the only way to make that scene any better is he just continues over and fucking over <laughs> the scene lasts <laughs> like 20 minutes bit. i think that there's a way you could do it to where it would be really fun the whole way through but i mean i, I i'll say this if you're going to spend 25 minutes in this fucking place anyway at least make 20 of it the, the most fun yeah. part of the entire scene. um i want to use this opportunity to discuss the worst part of the movie and i have a feeling you're going to disagree uh roman is not good in this movie let me rephrase. Roman is not written well in this movie. I don't. I think they use him far too often. I agree that they use him too often. I think that the way they write him feels right for the character they for the character. Up. Yes, but they use him far too often, and like, it actually goes back to my scene of everything about the the scene where he's supposed to be the distraction at the party. Take yeah. it out. See my bigger. Also, go ahead. Go ahead. While my bigger problem with him was the. Uh, can I check my email? I was like, I didn't need that. 
And yeah, you just look like a douchebag in front of everybody on top of it all. Like I, yeah. that, that was more like, this is just too much. I don't like him in this movie. Yeah, it's weird. I do like him, but I feel like there's a much better way to handle him. Uh, he, and that's again, that's why I find it weird. Like, yeah. I think that it's much better to write, even the scene I just talked about where he has to go help Dom, that is a way better use and a way more interesting use and a necessary use in a weird way, uh, or at least you understand the need for it more than just having him say cringy shit in a room full of people for like seven minutes of the movie. And that, that whole bit was just dumb. Yeah, it was dumb. I felt so like, what are they doing? They're overusing him. He's best whenever he's either actually pulling something off because it's always kind of surprising because you're like, yeah, he is talented, but he fucks up sometimes too. And that's kind of a stick, right? Like when he shoots the harpoon gun in the last movie through as soon as he's like, I'm not going to fuck up. And then bam, it's like, that's kind of a stick. And I think that's a way that you can make him work without overdoing it. But yeah, he ends up kind of coming off like an asshole in this movie sometimes. He does. But whenever he comes off the right kind of funny, it's great. Like, like the whole, let me make make a plan. And I, Hey guys, I'm just going to stay up here and, and and we're going to circle back and make sure everything's good from up here. Yeah. So, I mean, all (laughs) of that works. Yeah. Then there's a bunch more scenes where I'm like, nah, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. We're talking about the party. Yeah. How'd you feel about Shaw coming into the party? Dumb. Felt so stupid, dude. No reason. They <sighs> should they should have just said that he already had God's eye. That's all they should have done. They should have been like, he got it. I don't know how, yeah. but he did. Because they're not explaining anything else. So at least being like he had God's eye the whole time. Well, Fine. yeah, you, re- you retroactively reveal it by the fact that they steal the car they're doing in the thing. And then Brian pulls up the piece and goes, God's eye is not here. Exactly. And then it's like, ah, that's why Shaw was able to show up because he had, and then you go, you cut back to Shaw showing him using God's eye to get there. And I, here's the thing about it. You know, we talked about the movie. This is why the movie tries to make you believe that he could do all this, right? At the very beginning of the movie, we see him in a room with his brother talking to him. And then we immediately see him walk out and we're to believe that he's just fucked up an entire hospital and multiple guards to get in to see his brother, which probably was by no means necessary. No, that doesn't even make sense. None of it well, sense, but it's actually, to, no, I disagree. That actually does make complete sense because the government tried to kill him, uh, so true, they wouldn't true. let him just walk around. <laughs> true, maybe, but well, it's overkill. Like, yeah, and, and one thing that this movie does, it's interesting that you could arguably use to that degree, right? Is this sense of um, <clears throat> it's a uh, God's eye in general is kind of an interesting look at the surveillance state of the modern world. Like yeah. something really simple like God's eye is a relatively feasible and kind of terrifying thing. Oh like, yeah. So would you, I thought there was a cool use of that. Like I think that they've probably used technology in one of the most interesting ways in this movie, not for all the crap they do in their cars or anything like that, but actually because of the real world implication of something like God's eye. Yeah, existing. I mean, let's not forget Morgan Freeman broke up with Christian Bale because he had the same technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's the kind of thing though where i think that that's interesting and the and i find it weird that the movie would go towards doing something so like, genuinely interesting and pertinent to real life and then just throw that all away and not use it in any kind of meaningful way yeah you can have that be that you know god's eyes for anybody to be able to do that but you can think about the fact that to some degree all the surveillance state of all the cameras that God's eye is tapping into is constantly being able to tell people where certain people are. Now, maybe it's not everybody's cell phone, but you know, it's re- it's feasible to think that, ah, well, Shaw had to go and get into the hospital that way. 
because of this, this, or this. But at the same time, if I'm to believe that this guy can just basically shadow and pop up, then why in the hell would he need to do all that? Wouldn't he just be able to get in there and see his brother without killing everyone? That's not being a shadow. That's putting yourself in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. It feels at odds with what they're trying to say about who he is. They're saying he can get in and get out, and it's like nobody ever knew he was there. But at the same time, they're trying to make you believe he's like crazy. So it's like, well, he would, he wants to get in without you knowing, but then he wants to play with you. And that could have worked, but it's just, I don't know. Showing up to the party felt stupid. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. It was one of those things just like, oh, okay. Uh, it, it almost felt like a weird, like he ha- they have to get out kind of thing. So yeah. we bring the bad guy in to distract everyone. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan. Well, let's talk about one of the what I think could have been and wasn't as much as I hoped to be a good part of that uh, part of the scene of the of the film as a whole. Yeah. Um, is Tej and Ramsey? Oh, I love all that. of that. I thought that that was a really good use. I thought it was interesting for them to bring in someone to be Tej's love interest because we've not really seen that. Uh, you know, we we know that. Well, we know that Dom is with Letty, and, and that's his important person. We know that Brian and Mia is that's important thing. Uh, Tej has never quite had an, anybody, but Han had his girl, and we know that uh, I can't think of his name right now. Roman doesn't. Roman's apparently eleven millions a whole lot of vaginal action. You know what I mean? That's not <laughs> his thing. But I've always believed that. Ludacris's character of Tej has the ability to like be with somebody. And I felt like this movie, maybe they do it with the next one, but I felt like this movie was doing like little things of like, uh, Tej is falling in love with the girl. Even if it's kind of cliche that he has to be falling in love with someone who's into the same things as he is. <laughs> but I like those scenes. And I, that was probably the best parts was the Tej kind of kicking ass in front of her and her being like a little impressed. Like, wow. Like, Ooh. but not actually saying it, but more being like, I wouldn't have thought it yeah. was just, I like that. And I, there was a lot of Tej, Tej and Ramsey scenes. Um, and even to some degree using Roman in those scenes worked as well. Cause of course, Roman's a dog. He would be all over every girl, but interesting to say the least. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I guess there's only one more scene I really want to talk about. And that's the entire final confrontation. Uh, and this is where this movie becomes a straight up anime. I don't know if you agree, but I think it's just fact, especially when we get the uh, double wrench fight (laughs) (laughs) with literal, there's literal like fighting screen start like intros to this. Oh, dude, this 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 almost looked like the zoom in definitely because a lot of the shots they were using were kind of a side profile. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was like this fighting game, like we're we're about to zoom in on Tekken or some yep. shit like that. Um, and even the whole Dom being in white and Shaw being in black, and like the trying to play off the good and evil with the framing and the and the color choices everywhere, it was all super interesting. But in this like very odd way, where like I was into it, but I also felt like none of this feels right all at the same time. No, exactly. <laughs> It was one of those, like, I mean, why are we doing it like this? Like, and it also goes back to this idea of, of catchphrases. This movie's like obsessed with them. I feel like Dom says more catchphrasey shit in this movie than I've ever seen. And I know so a lot of it's like to be snappy back about what people said. Like when Shaw at the beginning of the movie says, What'd you think this would be a street fight? And then 
he returns with, what'd you think? This would be a street fight? And then shoots the gun in the air and grabs two fucking wrenches instead. And he's like, you're goddamn right it will be. Yeah, that was one of those where I'm like, what are we doing here? I love it. I don't want anyone to get it twisted. I absolutely adore it. But it's so ridiculous because it's straight. They do the fucking both of them in the air, like freeze frame. <laughs> it's a fucking anime fight. And I it's love that awesome. basically sword fighting with non-sword objects. Yes. The part that really gets me is you have that scene where Shaw also happens to have an oversized wrench, but then he realized he doesn't have a second one. So he pulls out part of the car's chassis and then, and then sharpens it on the wrench. I loved it. And then the fight starts. Again, stupid as shit. It's so dumb. But it was just like you're watching it in like a, like a Saturday morning cartoons kind of thing. Where it's like you just can't turn away because you're just having a good time. But so much of it was just so weird. I, okay, but we, we've got to get to the most important part. Okay. Dom stomping the fucking concrete. <laughs> yep, that was next. Because that was that was the confirmation that A, he's a superhero, and two, this is a fucking anime. Dude, so the street, dude, the I'm street gonna be honest with you right back. now. Everything about this is way less believable than even Marvel. Like this feels so fucking ridiculous because nowhere are we to believe that this is someone with superhuman strength. It's fun, but God, is it ridiculous? It's so, and then again, catchphrasey. See, the thing about street fights is the street always wins. Pow. I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Oh, I was so okay with it. Like, that was the thing. That was when I was like, this is full on insanity, and I adore it. So, here's the weird thing. In that corner between Shaw, who we're told is our main villain, and Dom, who clearly we've established it, we believe to be the main character of these films, definitely now past this film, uh, he's going to continue being 100% the main character. Um, But in that degree, I think that you have whatever you want to call that, anime, superhero movie, every bit of that going on. And then as our dual storyline happening directly beside it uh, in tandem, we have what feels like a very fast and furious moment of of these drivers who are really great getting together, uh, making a plan for all three of them to split up, be followed different ways and then meet back in different ways to try and confuse up and buy enough time to have this hacker re-upload a thing and get out of it that way. Now, does it, is it filled with all the contrivances of, of, uh, it being, oh, convenient that every time that they should be dying, they're like perfectly knowing, oh, it's time to jump out of the car now, or it's time to throw her into another car and me jump out of the car, all of that shit. But it still feels like a Fast and Furious movie in a way that feels closer to four, five, and even six. And then seven, or and then seven here <laughs> has got the other moment of just weird anime sword fight. From a guy, also, if this guy in his car had a bag full of grenades, <laughs> why the fuck didn't he grab them and use them against Dom? <laughs> because it was a street fight. But 
Well, he's already established that that's not what he's going to do. And the movie doesn't do this thing where, like, we're building to the fact that Shaw has a respect for Dom to the point that he's going to honor the street fight of Dom. <clears throat> and none of that happens. See, it depends it's just, because I think that that hmm, interesting line when he lets when he sees the dust cloud, I think he let Dom go because he respected the balls. No, I the hum interesting was it. Again, I think it's. I'm both, not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying I, you're wrong, but I did not take it as that at all. So the way that we're in, because that's that's a good thing. It's open for a lot of interpretation. For me, it was all about the fact that he realized he had another avenue. You the, saying the, that makes that it. shot was kind of you know. See what the movie says he can hit it. But then he never does. Exactly. So, like we're talking about this, the movie is, is not consistent within itself. Even if it's, <clears throat> even if you say, like at the beginning, you said the movie feels or the series feels so consistent all the way through. This movie is not consistent with itself at all. No. So, did um, did you think this drone thing was kind of nuts? Oh, one hundred percent. Especially when they have two apparently very elite hackers in the group in the car, and not one of them uses another laptop to hack the drone and to disable it. At least try. Yep. I was like, why? And it makes sense if like Tej was having a drive, but he wasn't. Exactly. He could have done it. Yeah. There's no then, reason he couldn't have been trying to get into it. Even if he even if he failed, it feels yeah. weird to be like, oh, we have no solution except for because look, the weird part about that is like even if you turn off God's eye. That doesn't stop this thing with that has night vision targeting. That has no. nothing to do with God's eye. That's just only, a fuck it. You have to destroy that. So what was the goal? The only thing that stops it is an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> so look, before we get there, because it is important, when yeah. Shaw comes back in just to be in, because that's all that really happens, for convenience, to save Letty and the hacker, girl, Ramsey, and then to be in the movie because he's supposed to. Um, one of the things I find interesting about this movie is I feel like Brian has a really big lack of empathy or even note about the fact of all the people who are killed in his wake. Oh and yeah. None of them do. To, I know none of them do, but I feel like Brian is the one I want to focus on here because I feel like the, like a good example, the perfect example of it is, and I understand it because it's self-preservation, but he shows no remorse or anything for the fact that he swerves out of the way and then lets the policeman, that he knows is behind them, take that RPG or whatever you want to call it, uh, that missile that shoots and blows them up. And I guess where I'm going with this is it belies his supposed want for the family life. And I go, the movie is arguably telling you he doesn't want it, but then at the end it's like, well, he did want it all along. But I feel like that's just a weird thing because my immediate thought when thinking about Brian is this is supposed to be a guy who's thinking about his family and you would believe that Brian would be upset if Mia or his kid got hurt. But then this cop who very likely had a family gets blown up and he doesn't stop to think about it for two seconds. And you could argue that, yeah, I guess it's because of the fact that he's in the moment. He's not wanting to die, so he gets to go home to his family. But I feel like that whole part of the movie just didn't sit well with where they're trying to take Brian's character. Yeah, there was a lot of like, this seems crazy. This cop just got blown up for no reason. But it also, I don't know, that was one of those things where it was kind of like, as a, I guess I'm I'm not a cop, right? But as a cop, if you see a drone shooting missiles in the middle of the street, don't you kind of just look away? <laughs> Is that fucked up for me to say? Because there's no chance in hell you're catching me going after a drone. 
and that's why you shouldn't be a cop. And now that's a there's a big broad conversation about cops and and all that that you can be had around these things. That, but, you know, the that, ideal that, version that, of a cop should be someone who wants to help other people, and they that, see this and they see it as something that could be hurting other people. That has nothing to do with it. You can't stop that drone. All you're doing is putting yourself in a right situation kind of, where you die. But the, the, right, the right, no, the right thing to do in that situation is to call the away. army. I, no, it's That's not to chase a, a drone. That's it's what you to said do. A ago, yes, but I said I'm not chasing a fucking drone. I he would didn't do chase the drone. I'll, I'll he, back up. I'll push back against you on that. He did not chase the drone. He chased the car. He's chasing the speeding. targets of the drone. That's dumber. But he doesn't know the drone's involved at that point. Yeah, how do you not know the drone is involved? It's blowing shit up all over town. I agree. The with first you, thing but it did was doesn't. blow up. Otherwise, this cop wouldn't just be sitting there and then being like, "Oh, someone's speeding. Let me turn I, my lights off." I think it's. I think it's just lot. It's just the movie wanting stuff to blow up, and it's, it doesn't make any sense because logically, cops would be trying to get people off the streets and clearing the roads. That's what you I do in with, that situation. I agree with you that. don't chase the guys in souped up cars being chased by a military helicopter and a drone because if you don't see the drone you see the helicopters so it doesn't make any sense <laughs> i agree with you to a degree but i still think the whole i mean I, honestly i would prefer there to be no cops involved because i just feel like it's weird they they because like you said there is that disconnect of why was the cop not paying attention to the fact that this thing is even happening he's just sitting there oblivious I mean, don't worry, there's a million questions, but I was just more thinking about the weird side, and it just happens to be a cop. But there's a lot of times where they let certain people live and don't do certain things, or they knock certain people out, and then they just kill others. And I feel like the way this these series handle who they're going to kill and who they're not going to kill is so weirdly inconsistent. Like, last movie, or rather five, we saw them throw a man out and hit his fucking head on a bridge, steal support, who clearly is dead. And then in this movie, he doesn't want to, like actually kill someone who's who's actually trying to threaten him so he just knocks him out and then just kind of leaves him there it just feels odd it's like where does the line um which in a minute we can get to about the end as well but i want to go back to the sword fight real quick okay one of the things that's weird about the sword fight is dom completely breaks his promise to hobbs does he oh he missed yeah, yeah, in an effort to try and be the street brawler man and fight with whatever sense of honor he has, I mean, he 100%, like, he misses the opportunity to deal with uh, with Shaw. Yeah, no, you're right. But we wouldn't get a pseudo-sequel without it. <laughs> and then Vin um, Diesel wouldn't be upset. Yeah, I guess. With The Rock. The uh, So this whole thing ends with Dom putting the grenades onto the helicopter and Hobbs shooting them with a large revolver, which is all fine. It's all good. What I want to talk about is the Letty scene where she thinks Dom is dead. Oh dude, I'm so glad you brought this up. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay. I couldn't stop laughing when okay. she does this heartfelt like Dom, I remember I remember us getting married. I remember everything. And then he's passed out, and then you just hear, it's about time. <laughs> and then he just fucking stops. <laughs> like, I I was, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, Letty's confrontation, I had a little bit of, like, the, the, the beginnings of some tears. I'm like, this is so sad. Like, I'm feeling it. And then he said that, and I burst out laughing. Like, <laughs> just, ugh. Oh. 
It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I had that it's laughing in me time. to where I'm far too calculated to want to let something like that really go. Because like the fact that she's telling the person who is medically trained to know what to do in this situation to back up from trying to save his life. Yeah, that so was She dumb. could be like, Dom, I love you. I remember everything. Look, at, I remember that we're married. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do want to point out because this movie and none of the previous movies tell you that unless you happened to watch the... 20-minute short that Vin Diesel directed in 2009 called Los Bandoleros. And I did not watch it, but I read a review, and it is five minutes of Dom and Letty getting married and apparently a heist, and about 15 minutes of a party. Weird. So if you were wondering when they got married, it was that 20-minute short. <laughs> well, I mean, I figured. I thought it was just one of those things where like they're retconning it because they had to make it important. Like, oh, well, look, we've never confirmed that they're married, so... Yeah. Uh, no, but, apparently, like, yeah, I guess they showed in the movie, but the necklace is the ring, and I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no. As soon as that scene came up, I was like, oh, it's the necklace, isn't it? And then he was like, well, I guess this will suffice. Yeah. <laughs> but let me go back to this scene real quick. I just want to ask you, what do you feel like happened in that? Was that just supposed to be movie love magic and that her talking to him actually brought him back? Or do you think the couple of, like, let's even just call it a minute of Brian telling her to breathe in and pumping his chest made him come back and then he was just sitting there kind of coming back around while letty was just pouring her heart out that's where uh, i choose to believe because i think that the whole love saved everything in this type of movie is just so stupid it is i was just like okay i i, I mean i i knew the movie wasn't going to kill dom so i was like sure the, if this is how you want him to come back with sentimentality i'll let it happen <laughs> but it was really dumb uh, I mean, yeah, this movie's constantly flirting with some kind of cheesy stuff, or the yeah. series is. And I feel like most of the time they get away with it, but eh. yeah, this one was like, like you said. I even I I stopped kind of caring. I won't say caring, but it stopped being believable, or at least to a sense where it was having an effect on me. About halfway through, Letty just constantly being like, "I remember everything. I remember well, it all." The weirdest part about this is, like, I swear to God, they use the same take twice. Oh, I remember everything? Yeah. I thought so, too. I swear it's the same take. I was like, she either says it the exact same way to where it's literally impervious difference, or they just literally put it in there twice so that they can yeah, try. I think, They're I like, think they I did. The one's not enough punch, guys. We got to just throw it yeah. in there again. We got to repeat all the same exact lines twice. So I was like, okay, sure. If you want to copy and paste that, that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't have too much more on that. I just want to talk about that. The It's About Timeline is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Um so it takes us to the end of the movie, and this is what I want to talk about because this is obviously what what is probably most affected by Paul Walker's passing. Yeah, and I think the beach scene, while very nice because of what happened IRL, uh, it's really weird and kind of creepy in the movie. Am I wrong? <sighs> I didn't get that feeling. Okay, but so let, I'm let me, willing to hear you out. Let me just: Would you ever go to the beach with your friend and just lovingly watch him play with his child and act like he's already dead when he's just playing with his kid? I think the the problem of the scene for me is that in the movie Brian is not dead. But in real life, Paul Walker is dead. So the actors are tributing him in the movie, which is fine. 
but in the context of the movie, it doesn't make sense why they would do this. Like, why are you looking at him like that? Like, to me, I it think- was one of these things where it just it comes off creepy to me in the context of the movie and sweet to me in the context of these are actors kind of talking about their friend, what they wish would have happened kind of stuff. But I don't think it works in the movie. And I think it makes the ending really weird. So where I kind of stand on that, I, I get where you're coming from now. And I guess if you look at it through the right lens or the right angle, whatever you want to say, there is a way to perceive it that way. And I think that's fair. I think the way that it kind of landed for me is that it's supposed to be his friends being like, look at him. Like, you know, that, that was it. That, that was it. That's, that was the last time. And in a sense, this is them looking at their friend who's very much alive, but they're looking at the death of that version of him and the, and kind of the birth of him being the father who doesn't want to come back out, you know, like let's look at uncharted Four. it's like, it's, it's about, Oh, this is the Drake who's 100% done with that life uh, and doesn't want to come back to it anymore. And I think that that's somewhat important because it's more like a metaphorical death within the realm of the universe that the movie's in while also being able to be a real tribute to the fact that the actual Paul Walker was dead by this point of filming. So it kind of gets to act as both, and I I thought it worked actually. I'm I'm I didn't get like I didn't cry or anything, but the entire end and even the the actual final scene with Dom driving off and then yeah and then kind of having Brian come up beside him and doing that classic through the through the windows yeah through the little window kind of camera worked. I thought it it made sense. I I think that they did a great job of letting him send off and then kind of letting his character have that complete arc of just living that life and being alive somewhere out there in the universe. and now, of course, that depends on where they go next, because if they try and come up next and be like, well, ha, here I am. I'm Deckard Shaw's sister, and I'm going to fight you because you put my brother in jail. Then I feel like Brian still ends up wrapped up in that. I don't feel like he can escape that. So there might be implications as to why it doesn't work with future storylines, depending on how they choose to do it. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, to me, like I don't have a problem with the, the last scene of them driving away. That's obviously sure. a very good scene. So you I just don't find think it creepy the, that friends are like looking at him. But I will never speak about any person I know like that. That just it feels weird because he's not dead. At a funeral, I, I understand more. I'm just not an emotional person. I don't know, man. But I never take it that way. I, to me, it was them all just kind of looking at the fact that he was happy, and that was what it is. And I'll but, tell you, it's not. It's clearly not the same thing because I don't have. I didn't, you know, pull off crazy heists and steal hundreds of millions of dollars with somebody just to watch them give it all up to be a dad. But I understand just sitting there and kind of watching someone you've known for a long time in a new context and being like. Look at that bastard go being a dad. I, I've never thought about it. Never, you know, it, it's it's never how I viewed him, but here he is doing it. And yeah, it's never going to be the same from this way on, like from this I, time onward. But I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know if it's personal experience or what. Maybe it's the music. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't work. I don't oh, think it yeah, works. I do think the music who starts too early. Yeah, it should have only been when they're driving. Feels, it very much feels like this is a dead guy. I think that's that's probably the problem more than anything else. Even though, again, I know that the movie's trying to play it with a dual sense, right? It's supposed to be kind of like a double entendre of sorts where it's like, oh, well, you know, 
Paul Walker's dead, but also this is them saying that whenever they see Brian again, because he's going off to live daddy life, whenever they see him again, they'll tell him about all the fun times they had. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do agree. I, I think it doesn't work because of the fact that we know. Like, I wonder if someone who was watching this film series all the way through got to this point, but had zero clue that Paul Walker had died, which is very weird. I don't know if that happens, but I don't think that's possible. Does it feel weird to them? That's we'll never know because we don't exist in that realm where we don't have that information. It just felt like the outside influencing the movie in a way that, well, it 100% did. Yeah. (laughs) I just mean in a way that doesn't serve the movie. And I just don't like that stuff. It's like, I had a problem with butcher Baker. You weren't on that episode, but they have a scene where something comes up from behind the character and the character never sees it. And I was like, that was a cool scare, but I don't like that in context of the movie because that doesn't do anything to the character. It only serves me, and it, I, so I don't really like its inclusion. That was kind of, I think, kind of where I'm at with this one. Well, just a um, quick correction. You weren't on that episode. I was. You did not. You were not. Oh, I was talking about the one with uh, our friend uh, Luke James, YouTube.com slash Luke James, um, oh, who came the on the show. Dark and uh, yes, whatever. Dark and Wicked. Sorry, that movie was mid, so I forgot about it. But Are yeah, they fun? have they have like a self a, a, an audience serving scare, which I just I just don't like, and I feel like this movie this scene kind of jumps to that where it's audience serving more than character serving. Well, which is my biggest issue. Like, yeah, I think that's fair. And you know, one of the weird things that happens in these things is like changing of stories and use of CGI to try and pull actors into things they can't physically be in. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, that actually. No one really knows how Paul Walker would have felt about this. Like, you know, were they just sitting around having conversations like, hey, bro, if I ever die, you could just totally be me and superimpose my face over you in the Fast franchise. <laughs> and then I think the the weirder thing, <laughs> interestingly enough, is something that I see that you have down here, the rumor of bringing back Brian and Fast 9. Uh, and I did because I told my wife, I said, you know, that's he died in this one and they had to CGI his face superimpose onto his brother, who's fairly similar looking. So it's it's a relatively convincing CGI definitely for 2015. You notice though, there's yo, definitely yo, you definitely notice, but again, there's a scene the in the period, skyscraper that's just like, oh, you, that yeah, is you not. see it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I'm not complaining about it. I just think it's interesting, and you yeah. can definitely see. Yeah, and and I get, you know, I get doing it once as a tribute and to letting that character get a way to be finished off in this franchise as an honor to his place in it. I find the, the I find that whenever I looked at the thing and the brothers said that they'd be willing to reprise the role of Brian in the movies in future installments, I find that to be honestly, I find that to be kind of gross. See, I I don't have a problem with it unless they superimpose Brian's face. Well, the, 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 and that's okay. Same thing. I, I guess that's actually what I mean. If they're doing it or again, Paul's face. Sorry. Yeah, if they're doing it again to where. Paul Walker's face is being superimposed on them. I don't know. It feels so weird at that point. Yeah. It, it that feels way worse than a recast. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, don't wrong. Movies have had to deal with this. And I understand. Like, you know, they 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 did some weird CGI stuff to Princess Leia in the final Star Wars movie <coughs> that she was in because she passed and it was kind of like a this is the way we're gonna honor this character. And that made sense, and I get it. And even this one makes sense, and I get it. But if they were going to bring back Leia 
in a real full sense by getting like, and again, not that this exists, but they could be like, Hey, Leia's or, um, I, Carrie Fisher's daughter. Do you want to play Leia? And then us superimpose your mom's face and body over you. I don't know. One feels like paying tribute and one feels like milking someone else's work. I guess. I don't know. It's something we can, it's unknowable, right? Cause it is, man, it's definitely unknowable. Away. But to me, it's one of those things where like, if you're a central, if you're a central guy, I kind of feel like if you're, if, if they can figure out a way, like, I guess for me, right. If I was in this successful franchise and there and I passed, I would hope that like, I would, I would be fine with this kind of stuff. I'd be like, please recast me. I want my character to go on. Well, at least it's his family. I mean, you know, in terms right. of Paul Walker, I mean, it's his brothers. And I mean, there's there's elements of it I understand, but it's, I guess there's a little it bit just, of that thing of sorry. being like, we're willing to come back into it. It's hard not to have some, and maybe it's because I have a very strenuous, strenuous relationship with my siblings, but it feels very much to me like doing it again. Doing it one time is to tribute him and honor him and let him have that finish. Doing it twice is to money grab off of his success. And I, the main reason I say that is, and I could be wrong, but someone explained to me or bring it up and let me see if I can find anything of where these brothers have had any notable career work in acting or anything like this prior to this. It just feels like them coming back in and using their brother's death as another opportunity to hop in and ostensibly make some money off of it and gain some form of extra notoriety. And it's not that all those things have to be bad. It's just, it feels gross when doing it, when we're already to believe that Brian is off doing better things and better pastures in this universe. So I don't know. A lot of it depends on how they bring him back. I could be entirely wrong. I wasn't completely against like them bringing back, um, grandma, uh, Tarfin or whatever they Tarkin in um, rogue one, even though I think the execution was a little body but you know it's it's weird it really is it's weird yeah i don't know but i don't have too much more um did you have anything else you wanted to uh chit chat about i didn't want to chit chat about anything more than just what our listener and patron mr rude days 93 said you want to talk about that yeah go ahead uh, he posted over on the Discord, which you can join in as well and get your little comments and questions right off if you have any. Uh, he says, best and most emotional ending in not only the Fast and Furious franchise, but in all of movies was a great send-off to a character whose actor tragically died. I hope they never try and bring him back to be played by Paul Walker's brother or something. Just let this one go. As for the whole movie, though, I do think it suffers greatly because of it. Also, have the whole Vin Diesel and rock drama going on now. Uh, there's a couple of things about this that I find interesting. So first of all, um, is the idea of bringing <clears throat> things back and changing. One thing we didn't talk about as just a quick mention, it was mm. really cool to have Lucas back in this movie. Yeah. But he was so notably older that yep. it was hard not to be like, Should've this was, cl- <laughs> yeah, this was clearly just filmed. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like that part. Not that it was bad to see him, but I was like, this broke the whole movie in a way. Yeah, I mean, he looked way too old. And it, like, I don't know. I, th- I guess that's, mm-hmm. you know, this franchise until up to this point always had to carry that baggage of the fact that Tokyo Drift had to appear in the future because everyone liked Han enough that they didn't want to kill him off in that yeah. movie. Uh, um, but that was an interesting thing uh, because of bringing things back around, you know. Um, but it's interesting. We were talking about. Um, 
Paul Walker's brothers. And he seems to kind of agree with me. It's something to just let go. And I think I agree, you know, I mean, at some point, I think typically movies that tend to try and go on without that person, uh, but with someone in that role don't normally work. Um, though, I mean, I'm willing to see it happen. Yeah. Um, I just, they just need to tell the right story. If it's, if it doesn't serve the story, then there's no reason, you know? Yeah, true. Uh, now I will say this, uh, this is more of a question towards you because I think this is interesting. Um, he says best and most emotional ending and not only fast and furious franchise, but also in all of movies. Now no. I definitely agree. This is clearly the most emotional ending of the fast and furious because it's the most weighted one. And also it's kind of a break the fourth wall thing. As I was watching the movie, uh, right before we recorded, which I normally don't do. I'm normally watching the day before I kind of messaged Chris. Cause last episode I had mentioned that I had not been watching the post credit scenes or mid credit scenes because I didn't know they were there. And though, so this time I was kind of waiting, but after seeing that ending, I thought it would be a really ballsy, bold, kind of disrespectful like move to throw a mid-credit scene to hype up the next movie after saying for Paul and giving us that emotional ending, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I is agree. very weird. But I, this is more of a curiosity. How do you feel about in all of movies? No. I I agree. I think it's fine. I think it's a good emotional ending. I'm not going to say anything about that, but I I don't think that this is the most emotional ending in all of movies. Personally, I I feel for you, man. Um, It's cool if that's what you what you think. More power to you. I just it's not hitting me that way. Yeah, I just think that it. I guess like if you want to sit here and say like because he passed in real life. But I think this is like a very average end to the movie. But because of the context surrounding it, it's more emotional. Yeah. But like, there's nothing really emotional about the ending of the movie. She just drives away to go home, you know, not to be disparaging, but that's all the ending is. It's yeah. just the context. So I don't. Yeah. Really... Like within the actual context of the story. Right. It's not very powerful they're, or moving. You know, they're. It, if you think about it as a story, they're going to have a barbecue tomorrow. You know, like it's not. Yeah. There's nothing actually keeping them from seeing Brian. Yeah. Brian and Dom will hang out probably the next day, which is why a lot of this stuff feels weird because they're sending him off, but then they're forgetting they're also characters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're definitely right because that kind of goes back to the thing of it's yes, it's, it's less. It's less respectful to change your ending because of the actor dying to having him die and then using his brother fill in (laughs) for Mm -hmm. a scene for him to die. But I think that makes a much more emotional ending. Can you imagine the end to this movie where it's the same song and everything, but instead of, instead it's, it's this time it's Dom standing in front of another casket, much like he was with Han and kind of giving this speech that he says about Brian to Brian's casket. Yeah. And I think that that's a much more um, uh, emotional ending. I think it has far more emotional gravitas to the, within the actual universe. I think it feels more definitive and it feels like a, 
oh shit, this is not something that these guys can come back from. This is different for now on because Brian's no longer here. They've lost a member of the family. Yeah. And they could have even, it would, it would never have flown back then, but I think in hindsight, it would have made sense. What if Brian just crashes his car the same way as he does in real life? And then they use that opportunity to be like, you know, sometimes you can't control what happens behind the wheel and it's almost a PSA. And then you get the effective ending and it's like, he died doing what he loved the same way he did in real life. And you, sometimes you don't have your car, you know what I mean? And the car crashes. I I think that's, yeah, it's definitely a touchy subject and I understand why people like it. Uh, and I agree that, like I said, it got me a little bit. I didn't cry or anything, but I felt it a little, you know, and even as somebody who at this point would be arguably a casual fan and by extension, I mean, a little bit more than casual, I guess, since we're going through and I'm having a pretty good time doing it, but it's, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that there's a lot stronger ways to make it have bigger impact in actual cinema purposes instead of the fact that it's mainly impactful because of the fact that it's a fine send off for him within the within the realm of the film but the weight that the movie presents it with really is only there and added onto by the fact that you know that Paul Walker died and it is mm-hmm. a nice it, it is a nice way to send off a character whose actor's tra- who actor yeah. who whose actor tragically dies uh, I, I do, understand that but yeah. yeah there is one more thing I did want to talk about uh, which is how kind of dark and really fucking brutal the Maya and and Brian stuff is has been in the last few movies because he dies so I'm kind of breaking my little like oh it's the movie but that stuff really like kind of hit me hit home for me when (laughs) they're talking about how he needs to come home and he has to survive for his kids oh yeah I actually thought that was way way more emotionally brutal than the ending yeah because that was stuff where I'm like I I don't know that I would have even kept that in the movie because it's so dark. <laughs> it really is. And I know that they're trying to paint this happy picture with the ending, right? Where yeah. she's telling him all this and then we see him drive off. But like you said, the real world bleeds into that. And it feels so weird when you know the reality. Right. And it feels heavy. Yeah, because you have these like, you can't leave your kids. You need to be alive for your kids. Where in real life, Paul Walker had children and he is no longer with them, you know? Yeah, like, it almost feels kind of deaf to the real world. Exactly. Yeah, it, it was I, oh, dude, dude. It was really weird. Like, in some ways, I like the emotional weight that it lent to the scenes in hand. Because I actually don't know that I've ever felt that strong of an emotional connection between Mia and Brian and any of the other movies until mm-hmm. this. But that's only, again, because of the outside affecting the movie. But... You know that phone call where yeah the one where he's she's like don't say it like that you know yeah. don't don't like say something else as your last saying that sounds like I'm not going to see you again yep and then like as she hangs up she's like I love you Brian and then he hangs up and he's like I love you Mia it's, mm-hmm. it hits brutal and then you know what else kind of makes it almost like just as bad as after that scene is where you start to get the majority of the. Paul Walker's dead. His brother's playing the character, you know? Yeah, you're right. It's just kind of insane. I don't know, man. That was just, I was thinking that whole time, like, I know why this is here. I know why this was in your original script, but I don't know that you should have kept it. Cause it feels real weird with the real life indication stuff. 
So here's the weird thing. And I think there's something out there that talks about what the original engine ending was intending to be. Hmm. But I feel like this movie, even in the, cause you know, they talked about the primary thing they had to do was change the ending. Uh, a lot of the other stuff didn't really have to be changed much, but this movie, even before all that feels very much like the goal the entire time and maybe this is just because of editing or, or what I'm curious if the original version of the script still ended in a way where Brian was able to come back out into the fray. If it ever came down to it, because he's still, you know, let's say Paul Walker didn't die. He's still available to come back, but this movie almost feels like it was about sending Brian off anyway. So I just looked it up in the article. I'm reading uh, screen rants. Dot com. Okay. Thank you very much, Screen Rat. A few years after Furious 7 hit theaters, writer Chris Morgan revealed the original ending. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. The finale still revolved around Brian and the rest of Dominic Toretto's crew attempting to stop God's Eye, an advanced computer program capable blah, 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 blah. Um, but instead of acknowledging the end of Brian's Instead of acknowledging the end of Brian's time with the team, Furious 7 would have ended by setting up the team's next mission together. Um, he said that there were insinuations that there was another mission in the future, and when Furious 7 was in development, Diesel said it was the start of a new trilogy. So, he was not going to be retired. So, it's almost weirder that this is all in there, as if they were trying to set up the retirement and were really heavy-handed with it in a very bad way, in my opinion. I don't know because all those scenes, I feel like, you know, we're talking about the CGI is noticeable. Mm. And I feel like all those scenes were Brian. So, unless this is just weird editing or something where they're trying to find a way to make it fit a narrative, I don't know, man. That seems like it was originally filmed for the movie before the changed plans. And that's, I don't know. I guess I don't see why, what's the point of spending time towards that plot if you're going to go on and be like, okay, Brian's going to be around for two more movies. Yeah. I yeah, know. I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's a classic case of curiosity about what could have been. Uh, but, you know, doing what they had to do. I mean, you know, it sounds like you don't just necessarily love the full ending. And I think that that's fair. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is it is what it is. I mean, you know, that we got to deal with the reality of, of entertainers dying before they get to see the end mm-hmm. of things sometimes. It eels what it eels. All right, buddy. Rate and review. Give it to me. Rating, rank and review. Yeah, rating. I think this is a pretty strong movie. I'm going to give it a four. Um, I don't think it's as good as Fast Five, um, but I do think it's much better than six and four. So we're doing fine there. (laughs) Uh, My updated ranking. It's getting harder because you get so many to work with and you kind of just juggle them in your head. I'm going to say, and I've had a feeling for a while that this is going to end up happening. As this is the style of movie that we're seeing more of, I'm going to say five takes number one. Wow. Yeah. And then one is behind it with Tokyo Drift right behind it. Yeah. Depending on where they go, because I've heard whispers. I don't know if it's it's an eight or if it's a nine. I can't remember. But that the uh, Tokyo Drift crew comes back around, which may push Tokyo Drift right on back up above (laughs) above one even. But yeah, right now I'm going to say five. One, three, two, six. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not putting seven in here. So five, one, three, seven, two, four. Okay. Is that correct? Did I miss one? does appear to be correct to me. So um, I gave this five stars. This is my favorite Fast and the Furious movie. It is uh, seven, three, five, one, two, six, four. Okay. I don't know if you could do this in the episode because now I have to understand. From the way you talked, there's no way I would have I ever guessed that you put this as not only your favorite Fast and Furious movie, but even a five star. Really? Yeah. I, I'm not saying that you're wrong to do it. It's just, it was a legitimate surprise to me. I feel like I, you, you said uh, so many things that felt like strong points against the movie to then come back and give it a five kind of felt like a smack to the head. Yeah. Well, the thing is that my problems with Shaw don't take away from the fact that this is easily the most entertaining of all of them to me. Like interesting because sh- because I, I don't know, we're, we're discussing like the story, but like in terms of wholesale entertainment value, this is this and Tokyo Drift are the only ones I would watch again, but this is the only one that I kind of want to watch after we get off of here, you know, immediately afterwards because there's just so much shit that happens in this movie that I find so entertaining. Like, just it, it has the, the airdrop and the skyscrapers are two of the best scenes in the entire series and they're in this movie. Hobbs has a minigun. Like he shoots Vin Diesel kicks a a fucking parking garage down. This it's anime? This movie's sick. <laughs> okay. It just I, has I just, a, again, a lot of structural it issues. It, I definitely agree there. I guess for me, I feel like five has far less structural issues while having all of the fun. Yeah, it doesn't have the airdrop and it doesn't have the skyscrapers. <laughs> But it has the safe scene. Yeah, but I I would take the skyscrapers over the safe. Although the safe is entirely practical. So I'll give it that. Yeah, and I actually knew that prior to you sending me that video, which I thought was very impressive. And you could definitely tell. I mean, there's something about it where it's got too much weight in the scene where CGI normally like really fucks up on trying to portray something's weight within a scene. Yeah. So absolutely. I don't know. I could I could see myself, you know, switching it back because it's close with Tokyo Drift, but it, this movie has some of the best shit. You uh, dance again, with the devil, boy. You're under just, arrest. Just interesting, more than anything. Yeah, we didn't, yeah, we didn't sure. even talk about uh, woman. I am the cavalry. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. Uh, Hobbs is Hobbs, but then again, Hobbs is the only one-liners I legitimately like in this movie. He's Almost every one. one of Dom's I thought were so cringy that they were just funny. Yeah. And not not in the intended way. I felt like all of Hobbs' one-liners were funny in the intended way. Time to unleash the beast. Uh, time to, n- nothing more messed up than a caged beast or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> There's also this thing where I've kind of gotten into my own head about how brooding he is throughout all these movies. <laughs> he really is, dude. It's so dumb sometimes. And I don't know if it's getting worse or if I'm noticing it easier. <laughs> You're noticing it. Excuse me. Oh, you're noticing it because I called it out. <laughs> I don't know, man. I already had that feeling from four because like yeah. I was laughing so much about the smell in his own farts while he's doing like the 
oh, here I am, a Sherlock moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm so <laughs> glad the movies haven't tried. Because I'm going to tell you right now, that that felt more stupid than him lifting a car punching concrete to me. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't believe he lifted the car. I just, in capitals, yeah, in handwriting, I was like, Dom lifts a car with question marks? <laughs> I said, my note is, Dom lifting the fucking car on that Captain America shit. <laughs> that's my exact note <laughs> exactly alright buddy uh, well I don't have too much more would you like to take our beautiful show out of here yeah I'll remind everybody if you want to support the show head over to patreon.com slash give as little as a dollar per month helps us with the cost to put this show out there for you all to listen to it uh, as well as just fun things for us to be able to do across triangle squared um spoiler chats and this so we appreciate everybody who does you get nice little things for it shout out to the end of the episodes we love doing it Uh, you can find us on twitter at matinee underscore midweek where you can yell at us for chris thinking that seven is the best movie or applaud chris for thinking seven is the best movie um and if you want to check me out and sometimes chris you can check out triangle squared and triangle squared spoiler chats uh which is a weekly thing for the normal show every monday uh and we appreciate you we're going to round the show off by shouting out our patrons and our patrons for this month are kyle Grimm, josh jarrell matthew green my name is dan luke bartolomeo sean santarude funk turkey danny villiobos Corey hickerson blake popes kevin bacon bits mark schutz shadowist steven salazar the stonard rich constantly kenny solitary red zachary sawyer landis rude days 93 josh drago bailey robertson brian donovan williams Derek porter Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Jehudi MD, Rob Warpoint, Richard Schaefer, Hannah Nagger. Thank you all so much. So we can start out with Joshua, I guess. What did you think of the movie overall? I legitimately really enjoyed it, honestly. I knew it! I knew he was going to fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't even care. You can slit my throat at the end of the That's fine. <laughs> I'm just picturing that Vince McMahon gif of like him like reacting and getting all like sweaty. <laughs> yeah, it really reminded me, and this is gonna sound pretentious, probably just because of like, like I, I have to make this comment because it's making me laugh that you're like I don't want to be pretentious after you chose a 1958 French movie <laughs> to watch on the podcast. I think we've thrown pretension out the window. You can be pretentious. Like. I feel like Citizen Kane. <laughs> Is the Dark Souls a movie? <laughs> what? Oh Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm.